satisfying hmm. they pull the big hunk of wax out of people's ears oh it's nasty do you struggle with that steve i struggle with it every year i gotta get my ears de-waxed to pull out a big like pinky size glob of wax like disgusting <laughs> i think it's because of the, the loud music oh my god you're, you're grosser than even normal usually you're gross <laughs> but now you're even grosser <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know about struggle with it, but usually before I go backpacking, because I'll sleep with earplugs in, I'll use one of those, like, sort of like a, a syringe, but it's like a plunger kind of thing, and you just use it and push warm water in, and that pushes everything Ugh, up. Um, you're disgusting, too. No, it's so worth it, though. It's so worth it, because then I don't wake up in the morning and pull my earplugs out, and I can actually hear. It is. I might retire early and become one of those. I could, they're, they're called audiologists, so they, like, go and... They use like a little vacuum sucker and they'll suck all the earwax out. It's really good. I'll post some videos on the show notes. Oh, we'd love to see that. We can do the Instagram reel of uh, your earwax Mm -hmm. removal. It seems to be big in Britain. I don't know what it is, but all the people that do the YouTube videos are all from Britain. So I don't know. Maybe it's a diet or I don't know. Hmm. Got me. All right. How did we get into earwax discussion, Snot? This is a goddamn hiking That was 100% you. (laughs) That was unscripted, Mike. It was. Right there. It was. just popped into my head. Um, so, Stomp, oh, man. this is the last episode for 2022, I think. Right? Yes, it is. Yep. Um, so, before we get into that, we'll bang out a couple uh, sponsors here. Uh, CS Instant Coffee. Zero Waste Instant Coffee that comes in compostable packets. Perfect for the trail and home. Check them out by going to the link in our show notes at CS Instant Coffee. Ooh, instant.coffee. And then at Vaucluse Gear, back sweat sucks in all types of weather and hikes. Not only is it uncomfortable, sweat is a risk factor, causing your core temperature to fluctuate if it doesn't evaporate off your back. Check out Vaucluse's Cool Dry Backpack Airflow Frame. Um, fits pack size 18 liters up to 65 and creates a nice gap between your pack and your body uh, for warm and cold temps. So you can check them out at vauclusegear.com. 
And of course, if you want a sticker, you can head down to Ski Fanatics right here and exit 28 off of 93, right in the lovely town of Campton. Yeah, I'll take a look at the sticker spreadsheet and send out another batch before the holidays too. So um, get your name on that. The link is in the show notes if you want a sticker. I think we're running out, Stomp. I got to get a new batch. I have about, I don't know, I've got a bag here of about maybe, what, 75? Yeah, I got around the same, so. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, getting low. Yeah. All right, Stomp. So you were, um, you, you, the Instagram was a buzz, a buzz, a buzz this weekend um, <laughs> with some of the content that you put on there. So for anybody who wasn't paying attention, definitely follow our Instagram. I think it's, what is it, Slasher Podcast? On Instagram? I believe so. Yeah. That's, I'd have to ask Steve because I don't pay attention to these things. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're Slasher on Instagram. You're the only adult in the room at the moment. <laughs> yeah, Slasher Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's at Slasher Podcast, I think. S-L-A-S-R. But Stomp put on this, like, he's got a Tacoma, which is a pretty good-sized pickup truck, but he, he posted a picture <laughs> of this Christmas tree in the back of the Tacoma and the Tacomas have like a smaller bed because it's a it's a you have a dual cab so there's not that much room but right. how big was this right. you got like a 20 foot Christmas tree right actually it uh, topped out at 16 feet 16 feet according to um, Papa Papa Stomp uh, he measured it um, standing with a tape measure from the deck though so I don't know how accurate <laughs> that is I'm guessing 20 because if you're up on the second floor uh, master bedroom it goes past the height of the window, so I'm guessing it's probably 20. Um, it's 10 feet, 9 feet, 10 feet wide at the base. And uh, we've always, um, we, like several years ago, we just started putting them on the deck because the cats are just crazy. You know? So it, was, it just made sense, and it was actually really pretty once the snow starts falling. So, uh, yeah, there it is. I think it's a brilliant idea. Do you put lights on it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, we have to use a six-foot ladder to maybe make it two thirds of the way up. I, this is a funny story. My, I'm like, mom, make sure you put the star on the top. Cause they were helping out when we pick up, picked up the tree. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, no problem. So we get the tree up and then all of a sudden she peeks her head on and goes, Oh, I guess it's too late to put the star on the top. <laughs> it was just such a hectic, like crazy effort to try to get that damn tree through the doors. Um, and then up, it was just crazy, but yeah, you, you can only decorate two thirds of it. It's just not safe to get up to the top. <laughs> Do you feel guilty? Like taking a tree? Like, I feel like if a tree has spent that much like time and effort to grow, it's like a big, big old tree. Like, and then you're, you're taking it. Like, do you feel any guilt? No, because I've made an effort to actually repurpose them and cut them up and stuff for next season. Uh, but I, I, I understand that fully. But yeah, I mean, trees are trees. They're, they provide us wood and heat and thank God for that. All right, so you'll cut it up and use it for firewood? A tree that size? Yeah, for sure. I would feel worse getting a smaller tree, uh, like, you know, like your typical six footer or something like that. Got it. But these larger trees, um, yeah. It's a really neat farm too. It's right on 175 heading towards um, like Woodstock. And this man has planted, uh, he, like he showed me his little private special lots. He put 300 little seedlings in, I guess you'd call them. And um, after about a year or so, they're only like three inches high. So it's a really neat process. And this guy, I asked him if he had a strategy, like do you have to plan ahead? And he just sort of wings it at this place. But um 
it's amazing. It takes a good amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, this tree is 30 years old. Wow. We counted the rings. So 16 feet tall, 30 years old. Mm. Uh, beautiful, beautiful trees at this place. But he is nothing under like 12 feet at this farm at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, Christmas at the Stomps is looking good. A big tree farm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, back to Insta. Yeah, if you want to see some weird stuff, just check out our Insta page. <laughs> it's always interesting up there. Eclectic. I keep trying to like, I feel like every once in a while it gets like too many of uh, those like coffee posts or. Oh, the co- the donation things? Text post. And I'm, so I always am like, I don't, I don't like more than three in a row. So I, I put like a, I put like a mountain picture in there every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> just to bring it back to earth. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. What are you doing on Facebook lately? You just trying to sort out your your uh, buddy hike? Yeah, yeah. I uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I think with the incident with um, Emily Satello, I was back in like the Facebook groups and all that. So I think it's sucked me back in. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to organize that buddy hike, and we'll actually we're going to do a deep dive later on about uh, an incident that happened down south around hiking groups and, um, you know, how they can go sideways. So I was sort of like comparing this story that we're going to talk about later on the show with how we're going to organize the the group hike and all that stuff. So I think that's a good call. I'm definitely taking a little different perspective than this guy that we're going to cover later. Mm-hmm. But it's all good. I'm excited. We're going to get out in January 14th and then we're going to take a crew over to Reckless, which will be fun afterwards. Yeah, I gave them the warning. (laughs) But, uh, you know, like Steve didn't even flinch. Like, they're ready. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I think the the, uh, capacity at the pint house is over 100, so there'll be room. Oh, yeah. We'll squeeze in. Squeeze in. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so you've got some notes here. So you would take a look at the some of the show metrics so we wanted to give a shout out to the top five downloaded episodes so yeah number one is the first episode which i think makes sense i think a lot of people sort of sample it and then you know half of them go away and say we're never going to listen to these two clowns ever again but you know we, we've definitely gotten a lot of <laughs> a lot of traffic for that and then the four thousand footer episode which was our second episode so we do get a little little bit of people sticking around and then after that our rescuing odin the dog which was episode 11 number that's three our third most Downloaded, which I think that was the one that popped us. I would say for the show, people finding out about us. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that was a big, big moment for sure. Yep. And then number four on our top five, as far as downloads go, is the intro to winter hiking episode thirty-two, which was Karen Washington um, joined us for that episode. And I think there's a lot of appetite. Obviously, people want to know about winter hiking. And then number five was the one and only Eric Todd Sweet, episode 54. (laughs) Yep. Very good. The ETS made it to number five. He's in the top five. Mr. Popular. I saw him. Him and Danielle were up hiking on Wombat today. Danielle Mabel? Oh, interesting. Worlds collide, right? (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) I miss Danielle. We keep on chatting about doing something soon but uh just two ships in the night yes. as they say yeah she's been doing all kinds of fun stuff but um so mm-hmm. i don't think we've reached like any uh 
you know, any huge milestones, but it was fun to look at the top five shows just in case anyone's curious. Again, Franconia Ridge, number one, 4,000 Footers, number two, Rescuing Odin, episode 11, Intro to Winter Hiking, episode 32, and then Eric Todd Sweet, episode 54. So if you're going to be bummed out that we're not going to have episodes over the next two weeks, then you can go back and listen to those shows if you're interested. Yeah. But I think we might have reached influencer status. You think? <laughs> I think some people might disagree. <laughs> no, this is really interesting. I think um, we got a, an email um, after Keith Gentili, who uh, wrote the book, uh, White Mountain State, and apparently he attributes a bump up in Amazon to number four to showing up on the show. I wow. thought that was like, holy moly, that's pretty interesting. Right. I think it was in the backpacking charts, which I didn't even know existed. <laughs> Getting real niche. He was great. Wasn't he? What yeah. a fantastic listen. Yeah, he really was. Yeah. It was a fun time. Yeah, yeah he was um, great. Sarah was great last week. Steve, you better bring it to the, you know, we got a lot of a lot of good guests lately. I know I'm following up some real home runs. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a good, a lot of follow up with Sarah too. Yeah. And um, big takeaway was this this idea of varied movement patterns uh, being the key to health and injury avoidance. And uh, I don't know. I threw this in here, but CrossFit's a good option. I know some folks that do CrossFit. A lot of folks, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, my cousin Danielle. She used to own a CrossFit gym in Wakefield, and then. She moved out to Hawaii, so she's doing CrossFit out in Hawaii now. But uh, yeah, I, I know that's a really good, good trend. And I, Sarah inspired me last week. I'm going to start doing push-ups every morning. I'm going to get jacked. Oh boy! Your goal is what? Fifty? Yeah. Got to crank out fifty of those puppies. Yeah, I can do about twenty-five pretty pretty easily. So I think maybe a hundred eventually, but we'll see. Wow. A hundred, that's ambitious. Well, eventually, maybe in like <laughs> a few months. So, oh, man. I may add that as my New Year's resolution. Like usually I'll do something stupid. <laughs> like I'm not going to put any clothes in the hamper inside out or something stupid like that. But I'm, I may do something physical now. I have that on the list here. So that's your New Year's resolution. Push-ups. <laughs> I'm going to have to, yeah. <laughs> do you have any, Steve? Uh, no, not yet. It's not, not usually yet. something I... Um, do contemplate yeah huh but maybe maybe you've inspired me I'll, I'll think of something yeah yeah i'm thinking too i don't know i'm i'm excited for you to check out baby monster back there in the gallon but i'm thinking of like, oh yeah i was gonna ask you about that right yeah we can check it out at the at the beer section I'll, yeah. I'll let you see what's going on but i guess my uh resolution is to become a better brewer nice <laughs> It's pretty fascinating. Well, you got a good start, so <sighs> I hope so. It was challenging, believe hey, me. I mean, doing I, it, man. That's that's the first step. So. Yeah, right. But we will check it out. All right. So then you're going to get into brewing, Stomp. That's your New Year's resolution. I'm going to be doing push-ups, and then Steve, you're still figuring it out. Shame. Shame. <laughs> yeah. Shame. Yeah. I'll figure it out. You guys are like on the opposite Shame. end of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right in the middle right well Mike's going healthy um, you're going not healthy not a healthy habit making beer <laughs> oh that's funny well, it's a good thing you got a lot of friends you can give it away to <laughs> that's so great um, alright so moving on to sort of pop culture miscellaneous um, what are we into right now discussion so 
Stop. You put something on here, $7 for an AI image of you. What is what is this? <laughs> Have you seen that? I've seen these. Yeah, I don't, there's a lot of stuff going around. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's like an, a computer just draws an image of you based upon what you upload to this program, but it's an app. And what I found interesting was you have to pay $17 for these pictures. It's like, why didn't I think of that cool gimmick? (laughs) Yeah, and I think we are, and I want to record this just so that I have it on the show because I had actually done a post on my Facebook, and I almost never do. I I usually just do um, hiking stuff, but I actually posted about this. But AI, I think we are now... We've crossed the Rubicon. Do you know that saying? Like we've crossed like Oh, a, of course. Yeah, Caesar. Yeah. So we've crossed the Rubicon into a new sort of golden age of technology. So I think as I've grown up, like the you know, the internet obviously in like ninety five, ninety six was a huge deal. Um when iPhones came out, I don't know when that was, maybe two thousand nine, two thousand ten, that was probably the next big deal. I think the third big deal actually happened last week, which is um there's an organization called OpenAI. It's a company that released a version 3.5 of their AI tool, which is called ChatGPT. And this is going to change the way that we live our lives. It's going to change the way students deal with their homework assignments. It's going to change the way teachers deal with education. It's going to change the way programmers do code development. Uh, it's going to change everything. So ChatGPT, um, like for, I'll give, just give you an example of, I just basically, all you do is just type in like, you download, it's a website, you just type in like, okay, I need a recipe to cook chicken, lemon lemon herb chicken tonight with vegetables. Give me a recipe. And it just pops it right out. Then you can tell it like, hey, make me a, um, a shopping list based on this recipe. Or you can do multiple recipes and get a shopping list. You can tell it's a right HTML code to build the form to track weather. You can tell it everything. It's, it's unbelievable. You can write an essay on Paul Revere. It's just, it's unbelievable. So we are in a new world right now. So I just wanted to get it on the podcast to call it out that this is such a huge thing so that we can reflect back on it maybe two, three years from now and say, remember when Mike was all excited about chat GPT and he was right. I went into the link that you sent out wherever that was. I think it was Facebook and I checked it out and it's all text, correct? And so it doesn't read back to you. It's just, it's all text. So you're reading it. It's all text, but you can basically, like you can put in, like I'll give you an example for work email. Like if you say, you know, you got to write an email on a certain task. Like you can basically just say, write me an email on this topic, include these three bullet points and then hit enter. And it'll generate an email that's like really well structured grammatically. And you can just cut and paste that, boom, send it off. So I think what'll end up happening is that (laughs) we'll go from writing full documents to just basically giving it bullet points to say like create this document based on x y and z we're headed towards wally remember wally the disney film (laughs) with all the people floating in the pods i I saw that article that you posted and i gotta be honest i stuck my head in the sand i was too afraid to click on it and read it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's moving way too fast it is exponential it is yeah so anyway, um, we'll see. I mean, you could even, Stephen, you could even say like, um, create a a beer recipe for me, and it'll come, it'll give you a recipe, and you could give it components of what you want the beer to taste like, and it will it'll generate a suggestion for you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution. I'll be a little less afraid to read scary articles. Yeah, yeah. You could basically <laughs> you could release a, a, a reckless AI beer. Oh, that'd be a nice line. It would be. It would be. 
So anyway, ah. um, still stomp. You have you, oh stomp. You really you want to do this? You want to talk about Twitter? I want to skirt around the edges. Yeah, because I think it's important. <laughs> I mean, if you think about, hey, let's start with this. It's a good segue. Elon Musk. He's he's deep into the AI and everything else. Isn't it amazing to see him go from the star to like hated and like trashed by the collective hive mind out there? I just think it's fascinating because it's all surrounding the whole Twitter dog thing. I don't know if you guys are up on this. Have you seen any of this? Like, uh, yeah, I see bits and pieces. It's fascinating. So, I mean, Matt Taibbi and Elon, they're releasing all the internal docs from Twitter. And I don't want to get into it personally because we're a <clears throat> quote unquote hiking show. But I think it's really worth looking at because there are some incredible things going on that really do put the First Amendment into focus and the relationship between government agencies and private companies. And I think, you know, I'll probably leave it at that. But um, it's fascinating. I think it's probably going to be the, one of the biggest First Amendment cases of our lifetime, without question. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I read a little bit of this. Um, I'm more interested from the perspective of sort of looking at the inner workings of how Twitter works, just to compare it to what I know of sort of working in the tech industry myself. And I, you know, a lot of it lines up with what I would have expected to have happened during that time when they were really dealing with the transition from you know President Trump to President Biden. Um, ultimately, I think a lot of this stuff is just sort of a litmus test around like people that sort of believe that, um, you know, they want more intervention when it comes to social media. Um, you know, they're going to say that this isn't that big of a deal. Whereas the ones that are like, I knew that all this intervention was happening. Like, this is the proof I needed. Like, I think everyone's just sort of like going to be happy, but Twitter has always been just a cesspool to me. Like I can't make heads or tails of it. I'm you know, either way, regardless of who owns it or what the, what the, um, you know, the, the, the current tone is, it just to me is a mm. bunch of like media people just talking to each other and, you know, I just shut it down. Mm. Yeah. Well, check it out if anybody's interested. Okay. It's shaping up day by day to look like a crime scene. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> very good. So, um, so I'm moving on. Um, am I reading this right? You're just starting to watch <laughs> The Sopranos on HBO? Yes, I have you seen any of those, Steve? No, I never watched The Sopranos. No, I mean, when when did this come out? Back in the nineties, I think Probably. early two thousands. Really? Okay, see, I don't even know that, but anyway, yeah, I'm hooked. So I'm binging it, and it's fantastic. It's funny. I always come a few decades late to these uh, cultural things. That I remember back in the day, people were just amazed at this series and it's actually really good it's a fantastic series hbo i mean the basics really with is. hbo i would say sopranos the wire and entourage you know you need to if you haven't watched those three series like you just you have to watch those i tried the wire and i i sort of bonked out around the second episode i don't know what it was about it but you should i should uh give it another go i would give it another go yeah it's it's to yeah. me okay I think of those series, like I still think Game of Thrones and, you know, I like the fantasy series, but I'll set those aside. I think for the drama series, long form, I would say The Wire, number one, Sopranos, number two for me. Hmm. What's going on in your cultural world, Steve? <laughs> in my <laughs> cultural <laughs> world? Uh, man, nothing super exciting, nothing super highbrow. Uh, wife and I just finished the um, Netflix show Wednesday. Was fun. Oh, it was yeah. a little. It was a little corny sometimes, but um, different. Yeah, Tim Burton though. 
it was, yeah, exactly. It looked nice. It was, uh, it was easy watching. Um, but who knows? I mean, we, we're one of those families where we got HBO because of you know, like the Game of Thrones craze and blah, blah, blah. But I think we still have it. And uh, maybe that's a new New Year's resolution. Maybe I'll go back and watch some of those shows that you're recommending, <laughs> Mike and Stomp. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I definitely would. I, I got to check out Wednesday. I've heard, I mean, my impression of it, it's a little bit different. Like I always thought that the Adams family, like the attraction was that they were the freaks that get dropped into the sort of normal school environment. But it seems like she's in school with like other freaks. So I don't know how well that plays out, but I've heard mixed reviews, but I'm, I'm excited to check it out. I thought it was worth the watch. It was fun. Yeah. It was, it's kind of like a Hogwarts situation where everybody in the school is abnormal. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. A couple other things here. We don't have to get into them much, but Avatar 2 is going out soon. Or if it, is it already out? I don't know. I'd like to see it. I would like to see it on like an IMAX or something like that. And then uh, we have the Swift fans are getting another chance at tickets through Ticketmaster. I, I read this this morning. <laughs> so I guess select people with certain grade of ticket purchases from the past attempts are going to get another shot at uh, getting another ticket. So I didn't hear that and I'm interested in that. Yeah. Uh, Wife's a Swifty. I spent two days in the trenches. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Read the article. It's, it's everywhere now. It's, it was this morning. Um, uh, apparently that's it. It's like, uh, four prior purchasers. They're opening up a lot or something to that effect. Fingers crossed. That was supposed to be a Christmas gift. So we'll see. Oh, Oh, so no, you, you tried to get them and you couldn't get them, Steve. Yeah, I, no, I could not get them. It was the most frustrating thing I've ever been through. No, that's not literal, but mm. yeah, it was awful. It was, it was, a, it was a, a very frustrating time. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, if anyone's listening, by the way, and they want to give, like, forget about Steve, but if you want to give Taylor Swift tickets to me so I can get them to my kids, like, <laughs> let me know. That's right. You got one, right? I, we have one that got tickets, and then I got two. That Although my youngest one, she's told me she wants to go see um, somebody at Fenway. It's a country. Morgan Wallen, I think. She's like, I just want Morgan Wallen tickets, but the other two want Taylor Swift. But one of them has a ticket. The other one doesn't. So, You know what else is big? Phantom of the Opera is closing. I believe it's like, it was supposed to be February, but now they're sort of bumping it later into the spring. Okay. Like, it's definitely a money-making racket, but that might be a cultural moment the closing of uh, phantom i feel on like Broadway. that's all i feel like that's the equivalent of like kiss going on their like farewell tour like <laughs> phantom of the opera is always it could closing be. yeah sure sure yeah. and that's just new york i don't know if it's closing elsewhere <laughs> wherever it's hosted but interesting stuff so you want to do some coffees sure we, we have a couple here Emily donated two coffees and Kathy C uh, donated three and both were very complimentary and about the podcast. And thank you guys for listening and thanks for donating to the podcast. Who called us click and clack? Click and clack, I think was Kathy, if I remember correctly. I'd have to look back, but do, do you know what that oh, is? Oh yeah, I was so honored. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe well, it. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it, prompted me to go listen to a few older episodes and whatnot just to see like that's an interesting comparison but yeah, i thought cool. it was a perfect comparison yeah <laughs> clever i always like I, the click and click like it, it's such a like my dad's name is mick 
well, he's Frank, but they, he goes by Mick. So it's such a Mick McLaughlin vibe. Like I remember like just driving in his car and he would listen to click and clack and we would actually laugh. Like he, you know, some lady would call up and she, they, she'd be like, there's water shooting out of my muffler. What do I do? And they would just go off for like 15 minutes, just making fun of the car. Like, I love that show. So the only difference is we don't take live callers. <laughs> Maybe that's a... Uh, that would be a really cool show. Wouldn't uh, it? A live caller slasher yeah. show. We'll have to get the uh, tech yeah. know-how on how to do that stuff. <laughs> We're so old school. We could try that. I have a feeling that like Shandy would be first on the line and we wouldn't be able to get her off the phone. <laughs> oh, we have uh, on line one through ten. Shandy. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding, Shandy. <laughs> Um, all right. So welcome to the sounds like a search and rescue podcast. This is episode 86. Um, so this week we are wrapping up the year with a visit by Steve from reckless. Um, I think this guest invite is mostly just a scheme by stomp to obtain some free beer before Christmas, but Steve's going to also update us on the latest on his work with reckless, his hiking exploits, and we're going to talk a little bit about his podcast, Fantasy Pants. In addition to this fine content, we will be traveling to the great state of Arkansas to cover a story about a hiking group leader who was charged with running an illegal guide service. So I'll de- detail this story and get Steve and Stomp's opinions on every, sing- or every angle of this one. Uh, so all that and some recent search and rescue news. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Let's get started. All right. And we have a, uh, a sponsor for this segment, of course, and it's at Reckless Brewing. You'd think I'd be able to do this by heart by now, but uh, <laughs> where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4K footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. Very, very cool. All right. So what you drinking, Mike? I am. So I got a little story here. So I am drinking Greylock from Greater Good Brewery. Have you guys heard of Greater yeah. Good? Totally. Yeah. I've heard of that Greylock beer. Is that the 12%? Yes. Yeah. It's, um, holy it's moly. Quad, yeah. That's the ass kicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy it's like, moly. and I want to ask you, Steve, about this, but anyway, I was in Worcester this weekend. Um, we, my middle daughter is back from school in North Carolina. So we had the whole crew. So my middle daughter and her boyfriend and my youngest and my wife, we all went to Worcester to visit my daughter and her boyfriend. And then her boyfriend's parents actually joined us as well. So we had a whole big crew went out to this place called The Fix in Worcester, which is a cool burger place. And my first time meeting my daughter's boyfriend's parents, and they're definitely like beer. They like beer. So um, we were talking about it, and I was like, oh, I'll have Greylock. But it didn't connect with me that this was like the 12% kick-ass beer, because I've had it before. But I was like, oh, I'll have Greylock just because you know, I went to North Adams, and I like the, you know, I like the vibe. So I had a Greylock, and then after we went to the Fix, by the way, this place, the Fix in Worcester, is really good. Um, I would recommend it if you're out there. And then we we decided we were going to go to the Greater Good Brewery, which is like right down the street, and then have hmm. around two. So I had already had one Greylock. <laughs> um, I had enough. I had like a, a lighter beer. I can't remember what it was, but. Um, my daughter's boyfriend's father was nice enough to like get me a f- another four pack of Greylock, so I'm rocking and rolling. Heck yeah! 
plowing through another 12%. But I was buzzing by the end of that. I had two beers, and I was like, this is more than I'm used to drinking. <laughs> yeah, those are potent, but very tasty. Yeah, Super tasty. Really yeah. nice. Yeah, I'm a fan of Greylock. Um, mm. My wife's family is from the Worcester area, so every now and again we'll go down and visit, and, and oftentimes we'll stop by Greater Good and have some beers. Huh. Yeah, yeah I like it down there. Yeah, and one of our listeners, Justin, he's going to kill me for not messaging him to tell him to meet up. But I just, I had the whole family, and it was a whole thing, so I apologize. But next time I'm down there, Justin, I will, I will ping you. Um, but stop! I don't know if you've dealt with this, but like, have you done the whole boyfriend to meet the family and all that stuff? It's kind of, it's kind of weird. Like when when the boys start showing around, showing up, it's like the first three or four months, I just tolerate them. I'm like, okay, you're you're here, you're around, but. I'm not going to get too connected. <laughs> then they start getting like... No, I hear you. Then they start getting familiar and you start having like conversations. So I think with this one, you know, my oldest one, Caroline, I, you know, we went hiking and all this stuff. So I think he's, you know, it's just a weird dynamic how, um, you know, they start becoming part of the family. And I'm like, I'm kind of attached to these kids now. Like you can't, you can't break up. Did you give him the uh, Tony Soprano talk? Stomp! I'm like five seven. Like, what am I? Half these kids are like twice the size of me. Oh, you should start practicing. Yeah, I have to. But anyway, so it's been a fun weekend. But anyway, I'm drinking Greylock. That was a very long time. But Steve, the question I have for you is twelve percent. Like, what is that? How does that happen that you have twelve percent in a beer? Like, it you can definitely taste the alcohol. But like, what do they do from a brewing perspective to get that much alcohol in the beer? Um, well, there's. There's a few different ways you can do it. I mean, the first way is just a huge mash. You know, the more grain, the more sugar. And um, depending on the temperature that you mash in at, you can make that that wort, that unfermented beer, more or less fermentable. Um, and then in, in later stages, I mean, you can just straight up add a bunch of sugar into the boil. Um, and that'll all ferment out. And, and become alcohol, and you can get something pretty potent like the Greylock. Is there a preferred technique to make it, to keep it smoother? Yeah, there's dry hopping really can, especially late, is a really great way to add sweetness that will mask that alcohol flavor. So it, it's just a balance, balance between bitterness and sweetness, and you can add different hops at different times at different temperatures to to produce a sweet flavor instead of a really bitter piney flavor and um, especially for some of our big IPAs that's kind of our favorite method to hide that alcohol burn and give a, an appearance or not an appearance uh, a cloak a cloak yes exactly <laughs> uh, <laughs> a cloak of sweetness over the alcoholic burn bravo i mean it is good but you can definitely taste the alcohol but anyway uh gray locks looking for synonyms over here yeah exactly (laughs) i mean yeah there's there's really only i mean when you're talking about 12 percent alcohol that's that's really like wine and there's really only so much you can do to hide the booziness oh that's interesting yeah huh yeah, but Worcester, I would wow. I would recommend if anyone's going to check out Worcester, like I feel like that city is going through a renaissance right now between the breweries, the restaurants, the whole vibe. It's like not, it's not the scary Worcester that you used to know in the nineties. It's 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 really nice and it's it's definitely worth checking out for a day. We'll do. Okay, Stump, <laughs> what are you drinking? 
Well, Steve brought um, a few things here, but right now I'm having the Stallion, which is a Belgian triple. And it's uh, 9%, and it's absolutely delicious. Yeah, it's my style. It's a little bit sweeter. Yeah, I've heard you talking about some of the higher ABV, sweeter stuff, so I figured... That sounded like a good pick, and we just canned that one uh, last week, so nice and fresh. Mm. Good stuff. You're missing out, Mike. Well, when you when you do the edit, can you do like a, a horse neighing sound when you said stallion? <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. Thank you. I, I picture the, the mane and tail um, shampoo <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> whenever I talk about the stallion. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's great. Are you having the same thing? I am, yeah. I grabbed the same can. So you brought something else as well. Maybe you can throw one of those other ones my way. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I also brought one of our double IPAs, 30,000 light years. Thank you, friend. Um, we oh, call it that because awesome. it's brewed entirely with galaxy hops, and the distance from here to the edge of our galaxy is 30,000 light years. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah. All right. So a couple high ABV beers, uh, nothing like what you've got though tonight, Mike. Mm. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Um, I was hoping to get your input on the baby monster homebrew that I put together with yeah. Mrs. Stomp. I can't wait. Um, we can do this on air. We'll just do it sort of visually briefly. So right down here to your right is the, the one gallon clear glass jug. So Stomp, let me just set this up for the audience so they know. So Stomp and Mrs. Stomp created their own beer I don't know what they're up to, but they, they did this like, what is it, two weekends ago, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, it was like two and a half weeks because it took about three days for it to ferment and the, the whole process with the tubing coming out of the gallon into a uh, like a, a cup for the bubbling to, mm-hmm. to release the gas. Yeah, you so want we, gas to be able to get out without anything else getting in. Exactly. So it was all sterilized. Hell of a process, Mike. Super sterilized. So basically... He's got like a, put that jug so I can see it's not, but you have like a jug. Oh, sure. Full of this. Um, it should be fine here. Let's go lift it up. Can you see that? Yeah. It's like this hazy liquid with some white stuff on the bottom <laughs> and it's got like a tube. Kind of, basically looks like, um, it looks like a pee jug. You know, hikers will relate <laughs> like to that. A mad scientist. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it's interesting. What My question's for you, Steve. Just looking at the color, this was an American pale ale. Mm-hmm. So this is like a orangey yellow, but there's a lot of sediment at the bottom. Does this look anything like what it might be in a couple of weeks? Well, it, it'll probably clear up in a couple of weeks, especially really? especially if at this point you take it and you put it somewhere that's cooler. Yeah, I mean, I know it's wintertime now, so that should be fairly easy. I mean, you don't want it to freeze. Right. But if you can get it somewhere as down close here. to freezing as possible, okay. I mean, like if you can get it down to, you know, the low 30s. I can do that. Then it'll it'll clear up. Okay. Um, and I mean, the tough part is the, the bottom of that jug is, is flat and wide yeah. opposed to something like we would use in a commercial brewery where it's conical yeah. and there's a spout at the bottom so you can pour all of that off. Okay. But now it's kind of stuck in the solution there until you get it out. Um, but Well, you know what they, they have you do? Have you ever done one of these kits? I haven't done a homebrew kit, Oh, no. dude, Mike and Steve, this is hilarious. So you have, this is a siphon. So you essentially oh. establish a natural vacuum siphon and that little rubber stop at the end is about half an inch deep and it 
prevents the sediment from getting into the suction. So you suck it all into a separate container, and then from there, that's going back into the bottles. Or alternatively, interesting. Alternatively, you could take that stopper off, use the siphon. Oh no, it's probably too thick. Oh, it gets stuck at the bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. Anyway, next next Friday is actually the day we're supposed to pop it open and well, transfer I, it. I was thinking about it and and when we make an ale it's usually about a 2 week turnover time so I was okay. I was looking back through our texts and 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 I was thinking like, "Oh, it's been about 2 weeks, maybe a little longer. I wonder if yeah. it's ready." Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> get it cold, let it get cold for 2 or 3 days. All right. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, I mean, the only time I turn the heat down here in the studio is when people come over, so <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, I was going to say, just keep it in the Woodpecker studio. It'll be like mid-30s, no problem. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for the input. I'll let you know how it tastes when it's all said and done. Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear. What would happen if you drank that right now? What would it taste like? Just warm, flat beer, probably. Really? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> yummy. Okay. Well. I'll let you guys manage the whole creation of beer. I've got other, I got other nonsense I'm up to. It's seems like fun, but I'll, I'll well, drink it. It is fascinating to taste it at different points in the process. It's kind of just like when you're cooking, you know, you're, you're always tasting something and trying it and say, oh, you know, maybe it needs a little more salt. And, uh, I mean, age is kind of the salt sometimes, you know, a really young beer, you can taste that it's not, it's not mature enough yet and it needs more time and it needs, uh, a little more love and attention. But um, yeah, next time you're making it, I, I suggest trying it throughout the fermentation process. It's, it's kind of cool. You can taste the sugars going away when you first taste it. It's just super sweet and it's gross. But Yeah. One last question. With that uh, tube capped and cinched, is pressure building up like to create carbonation or is that? Yeah, but that little rubber stopper that's in there, I think that would pop pretty quick. Okay. Especially where there's not a lot of headspace in there. Right, right. That pressure would build up pretty fast. So that's how you guys develop the, the carbonated aspect of it. That's that's a lot of it. We do use a lot of natural carbonation. So we, we watch um, the fermentation and we, and we kind of figure out the point where, okay, we know where it's going to end. We know when it's going to stop fermenting. We know where it is right now. So if we close the blow-off tubes yeah. and we capture that pressure, we can build up natural carbonation. And mm-hmm. then if... If there's any more room to be made up, then we'll just artificially carbonate it just through a, a it's a, literally a stone that has all these teeny tiny little holes. Mm-hmm. You blow gas through it into the solution and that brings it up to the carbonation level that you want. Gotcha. It's amazing. It's so complicated. The gold standard is to get the natural carbonation. Yeah. Yeah. It saves money. It tastes better. But do you guys ever do any like um, YouTube or TikTok videos about like making the beer? Um, you know, sometimes we do. Um our, our marketing team will come in and say, Hey, you know, we want to do a video about this or that. And, and we have done in the past, some educational videos that, that they post up on, uh, social media, but it's not something that we do regularly. Um, I think it would be fun. And, and, and honestly, the best, the best way to learn is to teach. So it would make us better brewers. It does whenever we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we have in the past, but not frequently. Gotcha. Yeah. It's fascinating to me, but I do enjoy drinking. <laughs> um, all right, stop. Moving on to recent hikes here. So have you been anywhere? Are you going anywhere? What's going on? 
I have not. The trails is pretty nasty out there, and I've been running when I have uh, a free moment. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> Seriously, the glare ice I'm seeing coming coming across uh, the internet yeah. now is like, nah. I'm just not into it. I'd rather... I'm trying to get into better shape and get my cardio up, so I'm just doing the running more so than anything at the moment. I've been making it up to that... Uh, Osceola Trailhead from Livermore so that's a good three miles up hill and I'm doing it non-stop oh wow yeah so you know Mike you know this well how when you first start running the incremental change every day is dramatic it's notable you know so it's like within a week I was running that whole thing non-stop it's amazing how quickly running does that for a person it's really neat it's measurable keep it going yeah, I'm excited about it. It's a little tricky now, though. So now I'm like thinking, okay, what do I need? Those uh, yak tracks to get up this, or do I put my spikes on? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, how about you, Mike? Anything? Um, no hiking for me this weekend. I was doing the the family stuff. My daughter came home from college, and I had the whole excursion out to Worcester. So um, I've got a trip planned for the weekend. I'm going up to Mount Adams. I think we're going to do either Grey Knob or Crag on Saturday. Ooh, that'd be nice. Yeah. It's supposed to be another storm coming in too, I think, at the end. Yeah. yeah. Friday. It looks looks burly, burly up there. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> I think every time you've gone up there, it's been like that. I don't know. I looked, um, I looked at Mountain Forecast and it looked like it was going to be one of those days where it was going to be clear on Saturday, but we, you know, it was going to hit 50 miles an hour or so. We'll see. I think we're staying at Crag. So if anyone's up there and you're at the cold cabin, you may see you may see me. Nice. You got anything under your belt for hikes lately? Um, not a lot that's super notable. I did go out to actually my first time on Chikora this weekend. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, and the ice that you're talking about. Yeah, we experienced real? it firsthand. Yeah, for sure. It was, yeah. it was pretty gnarly. Pretty sketchy. Did you do what trail, Champney? Uh, no, we went the other side. We went up Liberty. And uh, should have come down Liberty, mm-hmm. but decided to try uh, B line. And then there's a split where there's mm, B line is off to you know the right if you're descending, and there's another one that's even steeper goes along the river. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes straight down the middle. That was our original plan. We obviously bailed on that one because of the ice and opted for the longer route. So was that notable, huh? Oh, for sure. Did you see many other people on trail? Um, you well, know, we saw we saw. Two other groups as we were leaving the summit, and that was pretty much it. Two small groups. I hear you, man. I don't know. I'm like at this curmudgeon phase of my life between the price of the spikes mm-hmm. and the the fear of getting injured, which right. at my age would really be a bummer, or like let me loosen up my hip replacement. No, <laughs> I just can't do it. I'm just we, being cautious. At least for for most of the time, we were able to hit that sweet spot where you could have one foot on the shoulder of the trail and then one foot on rocks. Boulders, yeah. Yeah. Hopping yeah. boulders. Especially on some of the rock slabs coming down. Like, we just, we totally skirted around. Mm. Yeah. There was a lot of time in the woods. Yeah. I feel like that's the, this is the time of the year. At least it's like the snowpack is not so crazy that like if you do have to like veer off trail, like you're not going to fall in up to your hip. You know what I mean? Yeah, like there's exactly. nothing. But I'm almost thinking like, I don't know what you guys think, but like am I going to have to bring... I mean, I'm looking at the storm, the 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 forecast. It looks like a couple of inches of snow on. Eh, it looks like about five inches of snow on Friday, and then another inch or two. So I'm almost thinking I may need to bring. I'm wondering if I need to bring all three of the like snowshoes, crampons, and 
microspikes if I can just... I doubt it. Because it gets dicey on Adams. That, that like Randolph path and lows and all that stuff, can yeah. you can need crampons sometimes. I'm just looking at, you know, thinking of the pictures I've seen over the last three or four days, and uh, it's pretty bare up there other than those, you know, little jaggedy spots of ice. Yeah. But I think that storm coming in this weekend is going to be pretty significant. Like four inches plus up there? I think above. so. I have, I have a buddy who's a, a meteorologist, and he said that the eastern side uh, is going to get hit a lot harder, but hmm. there, there is still potential. And yeah. that's the thing about storms is, you know, they could be forecasting it up to the up to the minute, and then that night all of a sudden something changes and, and you know, uh, the west side gets hammered or, or yeah. something. But. What's the high temp going to be? Do, do we know? It's like it, it's almost consistent for like the next like from Wednesday all the way to Saturday right now. And again, this is mountain forecast, so take it for what you will. But it gives like a farther out forecast and some higher summit. But it's saying like twenty degrees, and then okay. basically the wind chill is just going to oscillate. There's going to be more wind on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then the wind completely dies on. I guess I was looking at the wrong forecast, but I guess the wind completely dies on uh, Friday night into Saturday. Hmm. So probably no chance of that, like sort of warmer, heavier, wet snow. Right. You know, putting a nice blanket on top of that ice, which I like. I, I mean, I'm a little more confident when that's the the case. But yeah, hmm. yeah be careful out there, Mike. Yeah, it'll be, be careful. Cool. I was trying to like, I'm going with my friend Jonathan, who like taught me all the ways of winter hiking. But I was like, oh, we'll go to Greenob. Let's get up there early. And he was like, no, we want to stay at Crag. And I was like, do we really want to stay at the cold camp? <laughs> Mm-hmm. But he oh, you gotta, you gotta do it. Hats off. It's gonna be. And for cool. listeners that don't know, I mean, Craig has what uh, an in, indoor wood burning stove. No, no. So grain off. So that? for the we've talked about Rand, the Randolph Mountain Club before, but there's two huts that are like on the um, like northwest side of the mountain, and there's there's grain knob, which is has a caretaker. And they run a stove there, not so much to heat it up, but they run the stove to just keep the humidity down because they'll get like, well, they get like 40 hikers in there, right? I think. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. So they have like a sleeping area up top and they, you know, they run the stove and you you can sleep there. I mean, my issue with gray knob is that like you're sleeping on top of each other. You know, you do need to bring your, your, um, earplugs because people will snore and you know you're climbing over people if you got to get out in the, in, in the oh, middle of the boy. night to go to the bathroom or whatever so it's 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 noisy uh crag camp is down probably about a half a mile away right on the shoulder of king ravine and um the only thing is it's not heated there's no stove there's the caretaker comes down to collect you know it's i think it's like 20 dollars or something to stay for the night but um otherwise you're sort of on your own and that probably sleeps around 20 people or so. And it's nicer because it's less crowded, but it's it's cold. Yeah, I miss that, especially this time of the year. It must be really nice. I mean, waking up in the morning and looking out at King Ravine, if there's a nice view, is it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it, like the, the one and only time I ever did that in this colder weather was uh, Carter Notch Hut. Yeah. And um, I actually didn't stay at the hut. We actually just... Um, planted a couple tents um maybe a tenth of a mile away from the hut towards the eastern side and um it was a nice time yeah yeah it's, it's challenging it's a big learning curve camping outside in the colder weather yeah we'll see i mean we got the cabin so i don't need to bring a tent or anything but i'll probably bring yeah, yeah i mean i got my zero degree bag and i got a sleeping pad 
Um, I may bring a little extra just because I was pretty cold last time. <laughs> well, we look forward to the report. Yeah, report back after the new year. Mm-hmm. All right. So we have other uh, listeners here doing some pretty notable hikes. And if you want, you can tag Slasher on your adventure to be considered for Slasher's Hike of the Week. And uh, no guarantees you'll be plugged on the show. <laughs> That's a little disclaimer. Uh, Vicky takes a hike. Pulled off a 24.5 mile hail to Bonds Traverse. Pretty epic. Emily Thompson requested a shout out for Kyle and Kathy for a double grid finish. So Kyle and Kathy, congrats. Mike, why don't you give them a very cool, very cool. Very cool, very cool. <laughs> I saw that though. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Sharpen the Sword made it up to the Kinsman's and Lonesome Lake. Nice work. And then Full Strength Coffee. Um, Jeff, uh, I didn't know this guy was so prolific, but uh, he did Hail, which is 46 out of 48 all time, and then 45 out of 48 for 2022. Does that mean that he's done 45 hikes in 2022? That's what I think that means. So if that's the case, congrats, man. That's pretty epic. That's a lot of uh, walking, brother. So those are the notable hikes, and they're all notable. Everybody gets a prize. <laughs> yeah. I have one notable hike that I wanted to call out, and I actually meant to do this last week, but um, I guess I'm the resident, like, 52 with a view fanboy here. But um, Ken McGray, who <laughs> he, he, wrote, he wrote, wrote the guidebook on the 52 with a view, definitely pick up his book. I'll link it in the show notes. But he had posted an update that there's a guy named Zachary Porter – um, so Ken runs the like the 52 with a view Facebook group and um, he had posted that there's a hiker named Zachary Porter who has completed his 52 with a view grid. So basically hiking each of the 52 current peaks in all 12 months. Um, so he finished up his final hike on McGalloway. So he's the first to accomplish this as far as Ken knows. So it's pretty impressive. And this guy, shout out to Zachary because he's like a frequent um, updater on New England trail conditions. So you've probably seen like his trail reports if you're doing 52 with a view hikes. Very cool. Very cool. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Super very cool. segment here stomp we're going to do a little catch up with reckless steve yeah yeah we had a couple sponsors before we do that we have spinner's pizza family owned since 1994 specializing in italian thin crust pizza number one in the region so it's just off route 93 at dascom road and uh, you can visit dolls and pops and tell them you want your sticker We'll go swimming with the fishes. Have you fixed that link yet, by the way? I did. And as a matter of fact, I checked <laughs> oh, that link and it was correct. So I don't know what you're talking about with New Jersey. I don't understand. Um, It depends on where you were looking. There was one link that took 
listeners to a strange place and uh we were getting the comments from listeners so yeah i didn't do my uh, due diligence and find out exactly where but um we have to i would assume it that, was I, I think it's i i think i, I got know. the right one okay fair enough um EMS, your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com. So yeah, we have Steve back and uh, we sort of do this like twice a year or so just to more or less catch up with Reckless and see what you guys are doing and, and dive into beer uh, craft, which is always fascinating and we always learn something new. And uh, you also have some... Oh, you, you were just recently married, right? You weren't here when you... Um, yeah, that was in May of this year. Were you? Did you come here and, and talk about that last um, time or no? I don't think hmm, you did. No, I don't think here. I might have I might have been at home doing yeah, it. Yeah. I think a couple times I've, I've been remote. Well, let's start with that. That's actually really nice. All right. Yeah, okay. let's do it. So give us the deets. <clears throat> um, well, the deets are that May 21st, my wife Rachel and I got married at uh, this cute little place. Ooh, I'm forgetting the name of the town, but it's called The Old Mill. It's down in Massachusetts in the sort of central Mass Worcester area. Huh. Um, really cute little restaurant. Um, they've got like a duck pond, these nice little rivers. So it kind of felt like being at home. It, it was it was very <laughs> basin-esque if you've, been, gotcha. if you've been up to the basin sort of. Oh, um, sure. But with a down-home, uh, almost Cracker Barrel-like sort of feel really nice we um we picked may because it was kind of like that was the first weekend before uh in season rates kicked in mm-hmm. and we thought it'd be nice and cool but it topped out over 90 degrees that day wow so very unexpected it was a, a hot wedding but the ceremony was very fast i jumped the gun and said i do before my my brother who was our <laughs> officiant even finished um, oh, that's nice. Yeah, so very anxious to marry Rachel, I, I suppose, and that came out subconsciously. Yeah. Uh, also very anxious to get inside in the AC and get on with the party, even though it was May. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, day to remember. It was a lovely time, and, and Rachel and I have been having having a blast with married life. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. great. Now, did you have a connection to that central slash Berkshire region of the state? Um, well, that's where Rachel has a massive family. Uh, Rachel's mother is one of 11. Okay. So it made most sense to to get married uh, down there. My, my joke that I tell lightheartedly is that the only thing I wanted out of the wedding was to get married in New Hampshire. So we compromised and didn't. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think Rachel gets annoyed when I say that, but no, it was a lovely wedding. I was very happy with our with our choice of venue. That's fantastic. But yeah, that was to be close to to her very very large family, so it wasn't so much travel. Did you have a lot of folks from the North Country travel down? Uh, yeah, definitely. I had had a few friends. Um, Kyle from Reckless was able to come down. Um, I even had some some friends who used to live in the area. You know, down in Florida, came out. Uh, it was great. I saw a lot of people that you know, that I'm still in touch with, but I haven't like seen in a little while, which is, you know, a really nice part of social media. Even though we don't live in the same state, we can still be in touch. You know, they say the rule is, oh, if you haven't seen somebody in a year, you don't have to invite them to your wedding. But (laughs) it's different when you're talking to people all the time on, on Facebook or whatnot. Yeah, that's Um, true. But yeah, my, my clan was able to come down as well from, from Northern New Hampshire. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you guys um, tour the area or did you do it like a honeymoon sort of separate or 
I, I, the reason I ask is because I'm the biggest fan of that part of the state. I know this is more sort of central-ish, mm-hmm. but the Berkshires to me is just like my favorite place on earth. Uh, no, Greylock we, and everything. It's we, we haven't been over there. I haven't done a whole lot of hiking down there. Yeah. Um, and and I've, I've been meaning to get over to Greylock. It hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. Uh, you know, I've done Wachusett and stuff like that because oh. that's just a short drive from where Rachel's parents are. So we go visit sometimes. I'll be like, oh, I'll pop over to Wachusett. Weathertop. <laughs> it's literally weather top if you think about it yeah Stomp, um, if, you, if you're gonna go out to gray lock in that area like i'm your man i'll take you out there i've never hiked it but i'll get to that in a sec for sure i've driven to the top but i want to hike it just for my dad it was a oh. plan when my dad passed he was a huge tolkien fan and there was a uh there is a section in gray lock you know state forest that is called the hopper I think we talked about this ages ago, but it's an, a, a section of uh, uncut old first first generation growth on trees Greylock. on Greylock. No so way. he was always fascinated by it. You know the the Ents and the whole thing with uh, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. And uh, after he passed, I did a lot of research, and there is actually a section of Greylock Reservation that's called the Hopper. But I don't think that's the actual place. So if you look on Google Earth or some of these other topography apps, you'll see sections that could very well be the original uncut lots of growth all around the mountain. Uh, So I'm fascinated to go out there and do some research and some exploring. I would love to go check it out. Let's go find the Antwives. No kidding, right? Maybe they're on Greylock. (laughs) That very well could be. So yeah, that's my my Greylock story. But uh, otherwise, it's just a beautiful region. Uh, Stockbridge, uh, Tanglewood. I mean, it's just Pittsfield. Even Pitts. Uh, I mean, I haven't been out there in so long. But no, no, Pittsfield. No, <laughs> no, dude. Pittsfield. <laughs> well, here, here's the here's the one thing for Pittsfield. Pittsfield State Forest is a campground, and you actually have campsites at the top of a mountain, and there are mountaintop uh, ponds that are up there with views that look towards Vermont for hundreds of miles. So there's like this little gem in the middle of Pittsfield. Um, Long story short, I I was actually camping out there for six weeks when I was going for my PT degree. So I had to do a rotation at Pittsfield um, uh, Hospital and I camped for six weeks. Wow, that's a whole lot of camping. It, it sure is, but it was like (laughs) the cheapest way out and you know, I wasn't into it at the time. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, what the hell? So... Yeah, I just love it out there. But anyway, back to you, my friend. <laughs> so, <laughs> married life, man. How's it been so far? Good? Uh, loving it, yeah. Well, I mean, Rachel and I had lived in sin for quite a while anyway, so <laughs> we, we we already owned the house together before we got married. Yeah, it's um, good, though. Yeah. Yeah, so so not much has changed in that regard. Um, but, you know, uh, loving it. I, I just lost my silicone wedding ring a couple days ago. Oh, no. So I've decided that if it doesn't show up before Christmas, I'll just get a new one. I, I only wear the, the gold ring on weekends or nights out or stuff like that. For this reason, exactly. Whether yeah. I'm at work or if I'm out in the woods, I don't want to bother losing it. Oh, sure. Yeah. So before we get to the, the other news about the podcast, any other things you want to talk about or mention or... You've been busy with Search and Rescue, for sure, which is super cool. Thank you very much for all your help. Uh, yeah, doing my best as far yeah. as that goes. Whenever I'm available, I like to go out. Yeah. Um, hmm, I almost feel like you're fishing for something, and I can't pick up on what it is. I had added a topic at the end of the show to talk about that connects to um, the Willard event. And uh, I oh. guess the question is, do you want to do this now, Mike? I think we could. 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think without getting into details of any particular missions or anything like that, how do you as a volunteer manage sort of the stresses that come along with being a volunteer and some of the the stresses that may accrue after a mission sure. things like that. Yeah. Cause um, it is a pretty, it's a, it's an important topic, but I think it's a topic that's sort of popping up more and more. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is that the community and I say the community, I mean several different things, the community, meaning my own personal community, my friends and family, the community, the hiking community. And then, um, the team itself is really like, uh, its own little family. So, that alone is really like a trifecta of support. Mm. Um, you can see the love people reach out, people ask how you're doing. Um, I, I feel, I feel okay for as far as that stuff goes. Um, the team is great at providing these debriefs. We can all sit down, we can all talk about it. Um, members from the team will reach out. We'll get together, sit Mm. down, have a beer, how you doing? I feel fine. You know, how about you? Oh, well, this is bothering me. It, it's it's a really open, understanding group of people. And uh, like I said, that's on several levels. Yeah. 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 It is. It's a complicated topic, but uh, it's super important to you mention it. Um, and I just felt like bringing it up just because you are so active and involved in that community, the search and rescue. I guess, obviously... You know, we haven't really done a deep dive into the Emily Satella rescue. We're probably not going to do anything until after the new year. But, um, you know, I think that there's probably a lot of people that are on search and rescue. That's that she, I was thinking about this, like, why did that rescue impact people so viscerally well? You know, maybe some other situations haven't. And I think the reason is, is that there's always the sort of what if. Like, if we had intervened, if we had done something differently, could have things changed? We'll never know. Um, but I think that those open questions will always sort of be out there. And I think it's very easy to sort of question yourself to say like, well, if we, if not for this, could, could have this, you know, could the outcome have been different? And I'd have to imagine that people sort of struggle with that, even though, you know, realistically, if, you know, if you, if you step back, you know, that, you know, everybody that was looking to assist in, in that rescue was you know, doing everything they possibly could. But I would imagine that, you know, it's just difficult to process. And that's why I think this, that particular rescue situation probably hit harder than a lot of the the other scenarios where there are fatalities, where, you know, you can look back at those situations and just say that there was nothing that anybody could have done to intervene. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is difficult to process. And it's also really difficult to put in lots of work and not see results right away you know in an incident where several days pass and you're putting in hard work every day that's that takes a toll so it's that that's very frustrating um and then at the end yeah like you said mike when it's an outcome that um you know you're kind of second guessing yourself over it's difficult to process Mm -hmm. that uh that doesn't make it easy yeah yeah no, not at all. And I think, too, you know, the age of the victim sometimes plays into this situation where, you know, it's easier to process, I think, where somebody has sort of lived a life and you can look at their age and say they're a little bit older. And there's always sort of that aspect that we always sort of, you know, jokingly 
throw out there to say like, well, you know, so-and-so died doing what they love and they lived a good life and you can sort of process it much easier. It's much, much more difficult to do that with a young person, but you know, it's, it's just, I think time helps. Well said. Yeah. Um, now for something completely different. <laughs> Where are we doing the full sine wave here? We're starting low, going up and then down and then up. Yeah, how so, are you going to transition this well, in post? Wait till you love this one. Ready? Uh, so, 13 episodes in. Oh, man. <laughs> so, just so that the listeners understand, because I don't think everybody picks up on this, but Steve uh, from Reckless has a podcast. Um, it's called Fantasy Pants, and it is, you know, we talked about this on the, the 100th episode and Stomp's was a guest star on one of their episodes as well but it's a dungeons and dragons based podcast where you know it's a full immersion into um sort of the dungeons and dragons um is it gameplay is that right steve yeah we call it actual gameplay yeah so it's you know we're not scripting anything we're just sitting down we're really just doing what we would do on on any other night uh any other game night yeah full improv we just happen to be recording it yeah well you the players are full improv but yeah exactly dungeon master has it all mapped out he puts in so much work my buddy david yep he uh puts a lot of hours in um and and he's not just reading and studying the uh, adventure path that wizards of the coast puts out he's also got a huge homebrew element to it so he's got to weave those two storylines together uh take the storyline as written and insert his own uh i'm gonna call it genius into it Mm-hmm. Um, so the the juggling that he has to do, and then he has to deal with whatever curveballs us players throw at him. On top of it, uh, it it's really <laughs> impressive what he does, and and he's always rolling with the punches. You really can't pull one over on David during yeah. a session. That's awesome. Yeah, and I wanted to just sort of um, ask you a few questions in in relation to the podcast life because you know Mike and I do this. We're up on 86 now, 86 episodes. Really cool. what, what is it, like two years, two and a half, or a year? Something like, I don't know. But anyway, it's um, what's your take on the whole um, genesis of it? So I, I don't recall us talking about this, but how did this idea start for you? So I, unlike you and a lot of other people I know who got their start playing D&D, um, or no, I'm sorry, not you, Stomp. Mike, you played as a kid. Um, I I didn't. So I, I was always interested in D&D, but I never really saw a, a path for myself to play it. Um, so my interest really bloomed when I started listening to D&D podcasts. Ah. And I consumed a lot of them. And then David ended up deciding that he was going to start a game with some some of his friends and I sat the first game out. I sat the second game out and then finally he convinced me to uh, join in on one of his games and play. And, and it was a, it was a step outside of my comfort zone, you know, to sit down and, and do some sort of improv and do a funny voice and um, make things up like that on the fly. It's, it's kind of a, it's like a muscle that you have to train. Oh, tell me about it. (laughs) And I wasn't good at it starting off. Um, but, but it all kind of started be- just because David and I, um, wanted to be able to look back on all the great moments that we were having, you know, something really cool would happen in just a, a regular game. Um, and we said, wow, wouldn't it be awesome if we could relive those moments? So we decided, okay, we'll just, 
get a little USB mic and we'll huddle around a table and we'll just, you know, play our regular games. And then we roped Jeremy into it. And uh, Jeremy had some experience with sound equipment and he took it to a different level. That's great. So that's that's how the podcast got started because it wasn't supposed to be a podcast until Jeremy got involved. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. We had quite the learning curve, right, Mike? I mean, we talked about it for quite a long time and then it got to the point where we just, you know, you, you, you attribute it to COVID, Mike. Um, that's probably a good part of it. But um, same situation. I had all the recording gear and sort of the chops. I had zero chops in terms of the internet back room Mm -hmm. and Mike took care of all that. And uh, without that, we wouldn't be afloat right now. So uh, hats off to Mike on that. Um, How was that for you guys building that back room and getting the whole thing together where you actually could post an episode and say we're live? Well, Jeremy is our Mike. Ah, So he dug, he dug deep and figured out, Oh, Hey, we need to do this RSS feed and um, we need an account over here and an account over there. And he, ordered a, a mixer and you know just some of the equipment that that he didn't already have from making music um so just like the story really couldn't happen without david the recording and the publishing really couldn't happen without jeremy and and i say it all the time um i'm just kind of like running around trying to do and help uh wherever i can uh, <laughs> so so someday my someday my workload will will be greater as i figure out where uh where i can help the most but for now the the lion's share of the creative uh work is falling on david and jeremy and yeah this wouldn't happen without those guys for sure well i gotta say you and jeremy have a a really keen insight into the improv aspect of it and you know it's the theater of the mind like you said when i joined you guys and your ability all three of you, but in particular you two being on the fly to evaluate this imaginary world that you're in and to make these decisions and to make it even more interesting than maybe even David may have realized is super cool. Um, which, which is like you guys are making content on the fly, Mike. So this is what I find interesting because you, Mike and I, it's like, you know, we scripted out and you know, we, Sometimes we'll have a, a couple weeks worth of guests ahead of time and that's our content, but you guys are literally doing it on the fly. It, it's intimidating and I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, it's very impressive. It's different. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like when we first recorded our first couple of episodes, like we had, um, I don't think our scripts were super tight. And I think over time we tighten up the scripts and we would go by them pretty religiously for the first 20 or 30 shows. Now it's a lot easier to improv, but I don't think that I could just sit down and say, you know, hey, Stomp, we're going to do an episode and we're going to cover X, Y, and Z points and let's just wing it. Like I definitely go off the bullet points no matter what. So I couldn't imagine like trying to just wing it. Although I guess you just need to sort of, if you're playing D&D, you just need to step away and just pretend like, you know, the the podcast piece of it is is not a factor and you just you got to immerse yourself in the game and then that's that's the trick i think when you're going right. to do something that's on the fly like that is just just immerse yourself and forget about the microphone yeah exactly i think i think if we put the gameplay first then we can really um show that authenticity and and to to a to a point we do have those bullet points because david has so much um prepared content and information um and then, yeah, Jeremy and I have to react to it. Um, and, and that's a little scary and not super easy. But David's a really good guide. 
and he'll kind of keep us in line sort of you know he can he can feed us info or or prompt us uh one way or another Mm -hmm. just in his um in his exposition yeah i here's a funny question um i don't know what the percentage is mike but we've had a good deal of guests on and we've done a good deal of just solo shows and uh, the the responses by people are, are different depending on what we do but how have you found bringing in Outside parties. I know. I realized you had another guest on recently as well. Um, I don't know who it was, but wasn't um, there another? No, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Oh, it's I just it's just been female. you so far. Wasn't there wasn't a female on board? Not yet. Oh, okay. Hmm. I misread that. That I thought she was going to be a guest on oh, the show. Oh, no, no, no. This is a this is a new uh, a new friend of the show who's doing some artwork. Oh, okay. On social media. For My us. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. No, no, no. Um, she's fantastic. Uh, Zara. Okay. Yep. Doing some doing some character. But back to that con that concept. Are you planning on doing more like random guest interactions? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're certainly going to want to spread it out a little bit. Um. So so the the particular adventure path that we're doing is made up of I think maybe ten or twelve different mini adventures. Yeah. And and we would really like to get guests at least once during a mini adventure. Um. So, so that's kind of our, it's not set in stone, but that's our rough <laughs> sort of way to spread things out. <clears throat> that's great. Yeah. But yes, definitely would, would like to, I mean, Emin Rath is still out there. Oh, somewhere. Hey, he, he's roaming around. Yes. We don't yeah, know where he well, is or I, what he's, he's up to, but. He's in the suburbs of Subsanko, so I know exactly <laughs> where he is. So just, this you is, let me know and I'll press the, uh, the Emin Rath. This is your player. Bat stomp. <laughs> bad luck <laughs> did did uh did you listen to the emin rath episode stomp of course i did nice it was nice. fun yeah see i listen I to, to every episode of the show except for the ones that i'm on oh dude it's hard yeah i don't like listening to, <laughs> to myself but uh yeah it was a lot of fun good i'm glad great. you had fun yeah we, we had a really good time yeah you were really excellent to have i've said it a thousand <laughs> times i'll say it a thousand more but yeah uh, that was funny. that was a really great night yeah we yeah. Just changed, turned it into two episodes um, I think it was nine and ten. Oh, don't don't stoke his ego. Don't stoke his ego. <laughs> <laughs> he really genuinely did very well. I, I, I could tell you were nervous, but I did my homework, right it, man. man. I really did. Yeah. I did my homework. I tried to anyway. But, you violated you know. your non-compete stomp. No more. No more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh man. Do you guys want to get into this next segment and talk about this? Yeah, uh, let's this do crazy it. mess of a group hike situation. Yeah. F- feel free to join in on this one. This is a hell of a story. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. Yeah, so if you're listening to this right now, like you just need to like, if you're multitasking and listening to this, like as an audience, like you need to just like sit down, pay attention to what I'm going to tell you because this story, like it has a bunch of twists and turns. So you got to pay attention. Okay, we're paying attention. Are you focused on <laughs> I'm focused. Okay. Yeah. And there's a lot I'm of generic ready. names. There's like a guy named um, Jeffrey Johnson and then another guy named Brandon Thomas. So it's like very confusing, very generic names. But anyway, so normally when Stomp does the, you know, we'll put the script together and, you know, Stomp will pull like a lot of the national stories that pop up and a lot of times I don't even you know I'll take a quick look at them and I don't even think twice but like one of the this story that Stomp pulled I started looking into it and then I started digging into some of the articles around this situation so I'm going to cover this story a gentleman died on a hike that was 
scheduled through a meetup group. And um, I started digging into this and more and more, it just became like this more and more interesting story that I thought that we could do a deep dive into. Um, So I think I'll start with the headline first. And this sort of just dropped this week. Um, So there was a court case involving a person that organized a hike through meetup.com, but they also have a Facebook group. So um, in this, this basically, there was a court trial. So a federal magistrate judge convicted a Bentonville, Arkansas man yesterday on one count of engaging in or soliciting business inside a national park without a permit and one count of soliciting money inside a national park without a permit. So according to court documents and evidence presented at the trial on on May 7th, 2022, Jeffrey Johnson, 47 years old of Bentonville, led a guided hike to an area known as the Eye of the Needle in the Indian Creek area of Buffalo National River and accepted at least four payments of $20 for service while in the Kyle's Landing parking area of the park. So basically... Um, you know, the guy was an organizer of meetup groups. And as part of that organization, he would charge members $20, not so much to guide hikes, but he would charge it for, I think, membership into the group. And then logistically, um, I guess, just to make sure they're committed to the group. And then also, like, I think he would scout out different hikes around the Arkansas area. So, um, I guess apparently it was kind of like a voluntary thing. Like if people didn't pay him, he was like, it's no big deal. So, but anyway, he got charged. And the reason why he was prosecuted was there was a hike on May 7th that resulted in the death of a person that was in his group. And I'll get more into the details in a moment. But um, basically, he was running this business operation. Um, One of the hikers within the group had had hiked with him on May 7th, the hiker fell from about 15, 20 feet from the path into like a pool of water. And this was in May and the water was like very cold. And, you know, they don't know whether or not the person hit their head or whether they experienced shock when they hit the water. Uh, but essentially this, this fall initiated a search and rescue operation that involved the National Park Service and multiple other area agencies. And in the end, it was like 47 different search and rescue individuals that had to respond to this particular event. Um, the hiker was pronounced dead on the scene. So obviously a tragic situation, but I'm going to hold on the details of the specific hike incident for a minute and just kind of recap here. So again, this guy, um, Jeffrey Johnson, ran a meetup group. So he was organizing everything through meetup.com and um, he would arrange these hikes in and around the Arkansas area. And the area in, in question here is an area that's called Buffalo National River which is apparently in Arkansas, it's known as a, a very challenging hike. It's technically off trail, but I think there's like a, you know, sort of like a, a bootleg trail that goes into this area. So the hike crosses rivers, slippery rocks, waterfall areas, caves. Um, so it's, it's treacherous for the Arkansas area, the Ozarks. Um, so, in addition to this meetup group, apparently this guy Johnson runs 
a Facebook group called the Arkansas Outdoor Enthusiast. And the Facebook group has around 9,000 members. So pretty big environment uh, or pretty big group for uh, organizing hikes and talking about hikes. So I guess this Johnson guy has been running these hikes for many years. And what he'll do is he'll put up a hike on Meetup. Everybody will sort of sign up and then he'll meet them there and then they'll go off for a hike. Like I said before, as part of the access to this meetup group, there is membership dues that are paid. I think you can pay them through meetup or he'll just collect them in in cash when he meets people. Um, So the $20 fee gives members access to the group. It covers, um, you know, gas expenses for scouting new areas and and fees to, I guess, be on the meetup site. Um, And according to multiple people who commented in this Facebook group after the situation happened with this hiker that died, a lot of people are saying that it was pretty common that this $20 fee was not even consistently collected um, and that many people didn't actually pay it. So a little more about the Johnson guy. Um, From what I can tell, he seems like he, so he's an admin for this Facebook group. And from what I can tell, he seems like a pretty well-meaning guy. He's a passionate hiker Uh, But what I can see of him is that he doesn't seem like he's super reflective around or it doesn't seem like he's taking a lot of responsibility as a leader. You know, he's sort of organizing these hikes and then everybody's out there sort of responsible for themselves, which I know we've talked about this stomp quite a bit around like meetup groups and Facebook groups and things like that, but you know, my take on this whole situation, he's, he's very much of the mind like, you know, I'll organize the hikes, but everybody's on their own. Yep. Assumption of risk yeah, approach. Which, you know, we can, we get into this in a little bit more detail, but, um, you know, I think ultimately like this approach with a large group sort of bit him in the ass at this time. So, um you know, he's not super reflective. He comes off a little bit, from my perspective, a little unsympathetic to the victim and, you know, not always sensitive towards any level of sort of personal responsibility that may come with organizing the group. Um, you know, my perspective here is that there's sort of two approaches you can take. You can take the approach that Johnson seems to take where he's like, look, I'm organizing these hikes, but, and I'll give people sort of a, a clear picture of what to expect. But I'm also expecting that they're going to be responsible for their own personal safety. And he doesn't really seem to be, and I'll get into this in a little bit more detail, but he's not someone that's going to, you know, if somebody gets injured or or can't keep up, like he doesn't seem like he's the type that's going to be hanging around to help them out too much. Well, I do believe there's a prior history to this person that you'll touch upon. Yeah, I'll get into a little bit more detail on it, but... Um, you know, I think my experience in the White Mountains is I feel like most of the people that organize these meetup groups and, um, you know, obviously there's variances here, but I do feel like for the most part, like the meetup groups that I'm familiar with, the different groups that I see on Facebook and then like the AMC type groups, like they seem much more rigid around like we're all going to stick together. You know, I want to vet people in a little bit more detail so that I'm comfortable knowing what your capabilities are. And then I think everybody sort of has this unspoken agreement for the most part around sticking together if something goes south. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so 
moving on to what happened on this hike on May 7th. So again, this guy was not charged at all in relation to the hiker's death. He was charged as running a unlicensed guide service. So just keep that in mind as we get into the details. So May 7th, Johnson, who again, he's the organizer of the meetup group, um, and he also has the Facebook group. He schedules a hike for this this hike called Eye of the Needle um, through the meetup.com website. Um, in this particular event, he ended up getting around 30 people to sign up. So Johnson typically uses a no-show calculation or a no-show assumption. So he he what he said in testimony, I think, is that he usually assumes about 50% of the people that sign up end up not showing. So I think in his mind, it was a little bit of a sort of a heavy, you know, a heavy sign up. But ultimately, I think he was still saying worst case scenario is going to have like maybe 14, 15 people there. Um, in this case, the no-show percentage was pretty much zero. So almost everybody showed up. Um, and in this event, one of the people that signed up was a 46-year-old gentleman. He was a father of three from Springfield, Missouri, and his name was Brad Thomas. All right, so you've got this, you've got this Johnson guy, um, you know Jeffrey Johnson, and then you've got this other hiker, 46-year-old Brad Thomas. Um, so Thomas and Johnson had never met until that day, as far as I understand it. Um, and again, this group had up to this point 30 people that were part of the hiking group. And they were heading down this trail, which is described as a it's a 4.3 mile out and back hike on an unofficial trail. All trails has us rated as a challenging hike. And specifically, there's no dogs allowed and hikers will experience river crossings, waterfalls, caves, rock scrambles. And there's apparently a bluff section which, do we have bluffs in the White Mountains? I don't even know what a bluff is. <laughs> I'm sure we do, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, yeah. one of the most popular, we have Artist Bluff. Yeah, it must be like hmm. just another name for a ledge, right? I'm not really sure, guys. Some sort of outcropping, if I had to guess, just by context. But Yeah, hmm. so anyway, there's I'm this really bluff sure. section that apparently is pretty treacherous. So, And this is the area where I believe the victim ended up eventually slipping and dying during the hike. So hmm. just to recap again, we've got the meetup group. We've got this guy, Jeffrey Johnson, who's the organizer. He's the admin of this Facebook group with 9,000 people. Apparently pretty well liked amongst the community. Then you've got Brad Thomas, father of three, 46-year-old guy that was you know, joining the hike. Um, they end up heading out on this hike, 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the hike progresses. The group is, you know, there's 30 people in this group. They end up into, I don't know, maybe halfway along or whatever. I mean, for Arkansas, I'm assuming this sounds like one of their most difficult hikes in Arkansas. I don't know how it is an equivalent to like what we deal with in the White Mountains, but it wasn't super long hike. But apparently they got to this rope section. And at that point, Johnson is working with the rest of the hikers to organize group members um, to get through this particular section. One of the group members informs Johnson at that time that one of the hikers who turned out to be um, this guy, Brad Thomas, um, ended up um, turning around. 
So at that point, you know, there's not much that Johnson can do. There was some discussion amongst whether or not anybody wanted to go back and try to catch up with this Brad Thomas guy to see what was happening. But ultimately, no one in the group wanted to go back and see what was going on. So the group proceeded to the destination. And at one point, I guess they got closer to where they were going to be going to this eye of the needle place. Two other people decided that they were just going to stop and wait for the group to go forward. And then eventually they would come back to get them. Um, And then at this point, even more, the group starts splintering. So Johnson is trying to encourage everyone to pick up the pace because it was a group that went ahead. Johnson is sort of working with some of the group to pick up the pace so that they can catch up. Um, Eventually, they make it to this eye of the needle place. And um, as they're sort of making their way back, they pick up the two additional hikers. The whole crew is coming back through this area. They run into another hiker who warns them and says, look, hey, there's a hiker up ahead that had an incident they're currently working on this person. They've got CPR going on. And, you know, we just want to let you know that this is going on. And I don't think it makes sense for you guys to stick around, like sort of just get your way through it. So I think, and Stomp, I don't know how you guys sort of manage this if you're actively out on rescue and you've got other hikers coming by. But um, it sounds like basically they were told, like, look, there's this is an incident. Like, just put your head down and don't, don't make a scene over it and just move along. There's different scenarios but in general um people that are coming are guided around a scene and um you know you try to manage that as well as you can yeah yeah exactly every situation is a little little bit different yeah so anyway so they're they're doing an out and back they're coming back um they're they're tipped off by this other hiker they end up going past and they then as they're coming back down the trail they start seeing search and rescue teams heading up the trail now johnson at this point and none of the group members apparently had any idea that this victim was originally part of their group which i don't understand how that's possible i get it there's 30 people but i feel like if i'm a group leader like i'm gonna have a pretty good sense of what's going on here we'll talk about sort of like some of the things that you can do as you know, as a group to make sure that this doesn't happen. But um, apparently, according to the news reports, they didn't have any idea that the victim originally started in their group. And it wasn't until the next day that Johnson found out that the man who died was part of that group. So I feel like that's that's pretty bad, right? It depends. The, the big empty space here is what did this guy used to inform these participants what was on his website if he had one what did he provide them in terms of what they should do to prepare i mean um as we're talking i'm looking over some of the new hampshire guiding um companies and they really emphasize the the pre-preparation and assumption of risk yeah and um you know, every state's a little bit different. Jurisdictions are different. In this case, we have a, a federal aspect because this happened on federal lands with this apparent, uh, you know, transferring of money and this and that. But um, so there's a bunch of different factors, and that's the one thing I question is how much did he tell them in advance? Um, the licensing thing, the permitting thing. Um, you know, New Hampshire, for instance, you can you can become a guide through fishing game, but it's it's a little more heavier on the kayaking, hunting. Uh, you know, those aspects, but they cover all the fundamentals like compass, first aid, this and that. So um, it's, it's a 
deep story and it really depends on what's happening in Arkansas. Um, you know, when we, when we get to it, I can cover some of the aspects of the negligence and um, how Arkansas um, may be approaching this case. But Got it. All right. Well, I think just getting to, you know, more detail on the story, um, Johnson was, again, he was a well-known hike leader in the area. You know, he had organized a bunch of meetups for multiple years, had this um, had this group. So he was well-known. So prior to that day, there was another smaller group that was going in to do the same hike. And that particular group had like, I don't know what the number was, maybe five or six people. There was two photographers that were going um, and they knew that this large group was heading out. So they had actually reached out to Johnson um, over text and had said like, hey, I know that you're going out to this eye of the needle place with a larger group. We just want to make sure that we're well clear of you guys. And we wanted to confirm that you're still heading out at like 10 or 11 o'clock or whatever. So this other group ended up heading out at 830. So they had confirmed with Johnson that his planned start time was later in the day. As part of that, they also said like, hey, just a heads up, I see you got 30, 30 people signed up. Um, you know, it's not safe to take that volume of people out into this area. Johnson, presumably, I think he just sort of said, yeah, I got it covered. Presumably, I think he was probably still using his assumption of a no-show rate of like half. So he probably figured like, I got it covered. Ultimately, that no-show rate ended up being, and I don't know what happened, but maybe the weather was nice or something. Um, but that no-show rate be, ended up being like, you know, way off. So he had those 30 people on there, but this other group had warned him ahead of time to just be like, Hey, just a heads up. It's going to get crazy if you bring this, this volume. So anyway, this smaller group set out at eight 30, they had a couple of photographers with him, with them. And I mean, you know how it goes with photographers. Like you're not making any fast pace with a photographer. So they're poking along. Um, and you know, sure enough, they make it, they make it out to where they're going as they're coming back, they head into, you know, they're heading back. They run into this large group. You know, everything was going fine. Some of the fo so folks in this first group had commented. They were like, yeah, there's, you know, the group had, um, you know, sneakers on and, you know, not appropriate footwear, etc. Um, but little did this first group know that this guy, Brad Thomas, had already split off. So they're making their way. They pass the big group. They're making their way down the trail. And then, sure enough, one of the members of the second group who was uh, actually had a military background. He was a former Army vet that had done some time in Afghanistan. Um, he comes upon this scene where this Brad Thompson guy had left the large group. Apparently, him and another, a female hiker had made their way down and um you know this this army guy from the second group hears some screaming going on the woman that's with thompson is hysterical thompson is face down in the water the water is like ridiculously cold so they don't know whether this guy hit his head whether or not he might have fallen and and had some shock from hitting this freezing cold water but he's face down in the water essentially and this gentleman, um, former military guy, attempts to get him out of the water. He's hit with shock when he hits the water, struggles to get this guy going. Another hiker was able to help him out. Um, this guy and his girlfriend, I guess, they start doing CPR. 
the girlfriend has an emergency beacon that she's able to trigger. Another hiker ends up heading down to the trailhead to try to get some get some help. So as all this is going on, um, you know they're doing their best to perform CPR, and I think it sounds like they perform CPR for a good amount of time. Um, but ultimately, like they. They just couldn't get a heartbeat going for him. And, you know, SAR teams arrived and eventually they ended up getting there around 5 p.m. Now, again, we talked about this. So Johnson and his crew end up coming up on this scene later on. They don't even, it doesn't even click with them that this guy is part of the hiking group that they were, that they started with. So they're just moving along, heading down the trail as the SAR team's coming up. And eventually they got to do a carryout for this guy, right? So mm-hmm. this is bad enough as it is, right? Yeah, it's very interesting. So he was sent down by himself. Is that correct? He wasn't sent he down. Turned back. Something happened during the hike where Thomas and another lady decided they were like, yeah, this is too much for us. I don't really know what the background is or what the motivation is for Thompson on why they decided to turn around. But him and another female hiker decided they were going to turn back. Okay, so they were together at least. They were together, yeah. So there was like the feedback from the Facebook group is a lot of people were basically like Thompson decided on his own without telling anyone that he was just going to turn around, right? And then he just mm. did his own thing. He was, you know, this other lady was there. And, um, you know, there the, a lot of the people on Johnson's Facebook group are sort of like Johnson's not at fault. Thompson is at fault because – he didn't tell anyone he was leaving. He just decided on his own that he was going to turn around. I don't know if he couldn't keep up with the other crew, whether he was sick of it, whether he wasn't into it. I don't really know the details, but ultimately... So the leader didn't know the leader that he didn't turned know around. That he turned around. But the leader also didn't implement a sweep in the group to cover the back of the group either. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. You guys picked the wrong guest this week. You should have asked a lawyer to come on. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. There is. Yeah. I mean, you know, you think about what would happen to, you know, to you or I if we invited five or six friends out for a hike and somebody got hurt. Mm. But then it gets so much more complicated where this guy was collecting money. Yeah. You know, and then it gets even more complicated when he doesn't have a license right. to be doing something that he, I, I would guess, needs a license to do. Uh I did well. I did a lot of digging into that, and I'll get into that. Um, yeah. I do have one thing I should add now, Mike, as we go on with this, because it's, I think it's actually helpful for people listening to this story to think about this. In Arkansas, in terms of negligence, like you know, if somebody like this this guide has a duty to provide a certain level of care to his group of people that are hiking with him. Arkansas applies what's called contributory negligence. Some states are different. They're comparative negligence. So in this situation, it's a threshold. So if, say, his estate, his family wanted to sue for damages and try to, you know, right the wrongs here, with contributory negligence, you're looking at a threshold that has to be met. And if, you know, they look at both parties and let's say it's 50%. If they don't reach that threshold, they get nothing, as opposed to a comparative negligence state, which will look at the the relative responsibilities of both parties, the hiking guide and the person that turned around and ultimately died. They would look at the contributions like, oh, did he go off trail? 
oh, did he not tell the guy he was turning around? So it's it would be a relative type of thing. So there is a chance in a state like Arkansas that if you brought a suit, it could just get tossed out because you didn't meet that threshold. So are you talking about a civil suit or a criminal suit? A civil. 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 So yeah, because that hasn't been played out at this point. Like we've only had the criminal aspect go on right now. Well, that's the federal level. Yeah. And I I do have some information on that, but we can wait on that. Yeah. Well, so now wait, there's more. (laughs) So there's more (laughs) to the story as we go on. And there's going to be more. So I'm not even close to being done with this. So a little bit more context on this one is... The prior week, Johnson had led another meetup group, um, apparently in the same location. This particular group was a smaller group, but Johnson had organized this hike. And um, in this particular hike, a female hiker injured her knee. When that happened, Johnson separated from this hiker, and apparently the hiker injured her knee told Johnson that, like, yeah, I injured my knee. Um, I'm not going to keep going on. The hiker that injured her knee, had her, her husband was also on this hike. Johnson, the husband, and the injured hiker all sort of conveyed with each other to sort of figure out what to do. The hiker was like, I don't want you guys to lose out on your opportunity to do this hike. I want you to keep going. Johnson then tells the the husband, like, okay, here's what you need to do. My understanding from reading this, and and this this hiker that injured her knee actually posted in the the Facebook group, she 100% is backing Johnson on on what actions he took on this. I actually don't agree with her on this, but basically what she's saying is she's like, look, I injured my knee. I didn't want to ruin everybody else's day. My husband was with me. Johnson and my husband sort of got together and figured out what to do. And the ultimate solution was the lady who hurt her knee, her husband was going to hike out to the trailhead. I don't know if there's like no cell phone connection or what the deal is, but somehow the husband had activated a request for search and rescue to go out and carry this lady at back, right? The ladies on Facebook saying like, I don't blame Johnson at all. Johnson just went off on his hike with the rest of the crew. Well, the husband went back to figure out the search and rescue situation. Um, so Johnson separated from this hiker. The husband coordinated the search and rescue response to get her out. Um, and again, the lady was on Facebook basically defending this guy saying, like, I told him to do that. I'm going to talk a little bit about the color personality around this guy's group within from what I read. But to me, like this one is bad. Like, I I don't care what the circumstances are. Like, if you're going in a group hike, whether you're the organizer or whether you're part of that hike, I think if somebody gets injured and they've got a knee injury, you don't keep going on that hike. Like, you just be, everybody stops, and then there's a plan to work to get her out of there as best you can, ideally without activating search and rescue. Uh, but Johnson decided he was just going to go on that hike, which I think this is the original sin which caused the entire situation to happen for him because Search and Rescue was pissed off, and I'll talk about this in a little bit more. They knew who this guy was. They knew that he was organizing these hikes, and after this happened Hmm. the week before, and then they've got a second situation happening where a gentleman died, law enforcement was pissed, and that's why this guy got basically charged the way he did. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. 
So but as I, much as I the victim again, is saying, like, it's fine, I, I made the call, I think Johnson had a responsibility to, to be a little bit more considerate of the situation and help to sort of get her out of there if he could. Yeah, yeah. But, but see, in my mind, again, it goes back to the whole negligence thing. I don't... To me, the question is, did they have enough to risk taking him to court on negligence rather than letting it be a permit issue? Because it's strictly permit and exchanging of money now on federal lands, which is a federal crime. Yeah. Yeah. They got a lot of technicality, I think. A couple of other tidbits just to sort of factor in here. So going back to when Brad Thompson was, you know, had died, when Johnson and his group were hiking back down, Somebody from the Forest Service or the rescue personnel had indicated to Johnson that it was illegal to run a hiking business in the forest. So that's what I was going to talk about. It sounds to me like search and rescue or the Forest Service knew who this guy was, knew about the incident that happened the week before, and then had called this guy out during that rescue of Thompson. Um, So I don't really know what what the deal is there, but certainly they were on to this person. And from the perspective of the Forest Service and in law enforcement, regardless of whether or not this guy was simply just an organizer to these groups or not, they were perce- they were perceiving him to be the one that was sort of putting people at risk out in the wilderness and causing them to have to basically activate search and rescue activities two weeks in a row with one fatality. Right. That's outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a couple of other tidbits that I I have here is that Thomas, in Thomas's gear, there was some alcohol found in, I'm assuming in his backpack. It's unclear. They did do a toxicology test. I was digging around. I didn't find any info about what came back there, but there is the potential that Thomas might have been drinking a little bit, but I don't know exactly what the detail is. See, that, that goes back to the contributory negligence. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, the next Hmm. thing that came out here is the sheriff in that particular area, he put out a Facebook post on his personal Facebook page, which was interesting. So this is Sheriff Glenn Wheeler of um, Newton County Sheriff's Office, and he put out a press release that I can only describe as scorched earth. (laughs) And... I'll give you the highlights. So basically, um, Newton County Sheriff Glenn Wheeler said his office was notified by National Park Service dispatch on Saturday, May 7th at approximately 4.55 that a man had fallen from a bluff near Eye of the Needle in Kyle's Landing. Initial information was limited, but Newton County deputies, National Park Service Rangers, Mennonite Disaster Service, Harris Fire Department... Mount Sherman, Fire Department, Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, North Arkansas Regional Medical EMS, and other volunteers responded. So these crews had to hike in where the man was located, and they discovered other hikers had started CPR. Emergency crews continued the CPR for over two hours, but it proved unsuccessful. Um, Sheriff Wheeler said the man was part of a group being led by a man from Bentonville, Arkansas, that was discovered to be operating a guide service without a license or insurance, and this was not the first incident the illegal guide had been involved in recently. Wheeler said, quote, This man brings people to the Buffalo River and other parts of Newton County and takes them into some of the most rugged terrain in the Ozarks. It appears they don't always know what they're getting into. 
Just last Saturday, a person he was leading was injured and he left her in the woods. We responded with a full rescue team who put themselves in jeopardy to help her, just like they did with Mr. Thomas. They do it because they love it and have servants' hearts, but none of that never would have been necessary if this man had not led them into areas that was possibly beyond their preparation levels. Then to leave an injured client is just absurd. So Wheeler said that, you know, he's working with the National Park Service to determine the best course of action. His perspective is this man has a responsibility to these people. He takes their money, then leads them to places without any kind of license, insurance, or emergency plan. And when something goes wrong, he just bails on them. I'm working with our prosecutor's attorney office to see what recourse we have. And Park Service personnel are speaking to the U.S. Attorney's Office to see if federal charges would be more appropriate. So it goes on. I'll, I'll include it in the in the show notes. But this is like absolutely scorched earth. Yeah, it's very interesting. Just to tie a, tie a few knots here, a yep. bluff is a steep headland, okay. promontory, riverbank, or cliff. And um, apparently in federal lands, U.S. Forest Service, uh, they utilize a CUA, which is a commercial use, use authorization, which allows an individual group, company, or other for-profit entity to conduct commercial activities and provide specific visitor services within a national park. Uh, which can range from guided mountaineering, backpacking, bike tours, etc. So that's probably leading into the federal legal action here. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, but that sheriff clearly he was like, I know what the deal is. I'm going to go after this guy. Um, you know, and just as a reminder, Johnson was not charged with any negligence for this hiker death. The case that they put together for him stood on the fact that um, as part of the $20 meetup fee, he had actually collected this fee on four cases on the Forest Service property. So I think even if he had collected this fee outside of the Forest Service property, he might have been okay. But they had four situations where members had confirmed that they had given him these $20 fees when they met him apparently in the parking lot. So that's basically what the case rested on, is that he collected those fees, and that was enough evidence for what they needed to prove that he was running an illegal guide service, and that's what got the conviction. Wow. That's wild. Right? I mean, the more we talk about it, the more it makes sense to me in terms of why they're going with federal charges. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when, yeah, I mean, when yeah. the story first starts, yeah. you think, oh, well, you know, well-prepared, experienced hikers can slip and fall and... Yeah. you know, break an ankle or, or, or fall fatally. Mm-hmm. And it happens all the time. And that maybe isn't necessarily the fault of the leader of the group, uh, whether there's money exchange or not. But yeah, like you said, as, as the story keeps going and there are more and more details, it seems like, yeah, man, this is more than just a laissez-faire leadership style. This is mm-hmm. just aloofness and, and I mean, negligent. Yeah. At least it seems that way. Well, like I said, I'm not a lawyer. But again, Arkansas is one of the fewer states that has this this contributory standard, which is a mm-hmm. lot harder to prove than this comparative, which is like a, a sliding scale, more or less. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it just makes sense. Yeah. Um, so a little bit about the hiking community reaction. So 
I spent a little bit of time. So I mean, I'm in this guy's group. So I think the Facebook group is called Arkansas Outdoor Adventures or something like that. So I spent a little bit of time yep. checking out the group. <laughs> and I also looked at the comments on the sheriff's, the sheriff's Facebook post. So I guess what I would say is that the hiking community is very polarized on this one. There's a, there's a large population... It feels like there's a little bit of a cult of personality going on within his group. It's a 9,000-member group. But there seems to be a very sort of large population of hikers that are taking the perspective that Johnson has no culpability for the death whatsoever. That um, And it's almost like it's a little uncomfortable reading some of the comments, but essentially people are falling on the side of Thomas had a responsibility to let people know that he was turning back around and Johnson has no responsibility um, in this situation. It's a tragic accident and there was nothing that he should have done differently. You know, I would argue that in a case where you're organizing a group, like if even though I'm not, you know, I'm not responsible for people from the perspective of like, you know, their safety 100%, but there's basic rules of group leadership or, or group organization that you need to follow. Like basically, you have a lead hiker, you have a sweep hiker that follows people. Those two hikers are the most experienced hikers. You have an agreement that everyone's going to stop at certain intervals to make sure that everybody's collected. You have a group that's small enough so that everybody knows who everybody else is. You have an agreement that if there's an injury or if there's fatigue, everybody's going to turn around and head back. You know, those are basic rules that you can implement that I think 99% of the groups that do hikes in the White Mountains follow those basic rules. But this he this seems to be, and again, in this particular Facebook group and on the comments I read from the sheriff's office, none of those points were really brought up by the people that said Johnson has no culpability here, which to me, I was pretty shocked that there was that high of a volume. But this was not like one or two people asserting this. This was common across the group. Yeah, I think if you're if you're out at like the mall with your friends and somebody slips and, and hurts their leg and everybody wants to continue on and go to the to the food court or whatever, I think that's different. But yeah, if you're in the backcountry and somebody in your group hurts themselves to leave them, and, and let them take care of themselves and, and take all that manpower out of a rescue effort. That's, I mean, if you've got 30 people or even less than 30 people and you come across a, a carry out, please pitch in, <laughs> please don't walk by <laughs> because, uh, that, that help is really valuable. Yeah, exactly. And then one of the things I was curious about is like, maybe it's just a cultural thing where like Arkansas and the Ozarks area is a little bit different, but I have some good friends. I mean, I have a really good a good Facebook friend who is very involved in that area, and I checked with a couple of people, and they all were sort of of the same mind as as I was around. Like, you know, there's basic sort of rules that you should implement when you're doing these meetup groups where you know you've got a lead, you've got a sweep, you've got the agreement that you're going to stop at certain interviews intervals, you've got the agreement that you're going to. Um, you know, turn around if somebody's injured or everyone's going to rally together to get the person out, ideally without engaging search and rescue if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, So this isn't just like a weird cultural thing that goes on in Arkansas. This just seems to be, 
you know, a lot of people sort of have hiked with this guy. He's been organizing hikes for years and years, and he's got a lot of friends, and he sort of made himself known as a good person. And he probably is a good person, but I think that there's a blind spot here when it comes to sort of the culpability around how to behave in a hiking group, regardless of whether you're a leader or you're just a participant. You know, I think that some people are completely clueless and they have no experience, but if you're an experienced hiker, you should know how to maneuver in these groups and just have these basic rules in place. Yeah, I think it's evolving, uh, to be honest yeah. with you. I think if more events like this happen, then there may be legislative action. Um, I think my big takeaway with this for listeners uh, and, and for anybody really is to do your homework because I think a lot of these outfits, whether it be hiking guides, snowmobile guides, kayaking guides, I think you need to do your homework and look at their resume. Um, you know, just in my research just tonight while, while you were <laughs> chatting, Mike, I did some digging and um a lot of the outfits here in state new hampshire um just pretty much rely on individual uh certifications like solo certifications first aid certification avalanche certification things like that and that's sort of where it ends so i think you should uh look into a guide service if that's what you're thinking about doing look at their resume if you if you have a particular guide dig into that person individually their history if they've had any incidents you know uh, you got to do your homework because a lot of these services are straight out assumption of risk, inherently dangerous activities. And you can make the argument that hiking is inherently dangerous, especially if you're on a steep bluff. Uh, I know I can certainly say that that's how snowmobile works. You know, people walk in from some met- metro somewhere a hundred miles away that have never been on a motorized machine and they sign away their their liability and that is it and we take them out um so do your homework due diligence on the part of the participant yeah you know so it's interesting so ultimately like i guess the one argument that i would say to you know this guy johnson like he's on Facebook, commenting, you know, I don't think, I didn't, re- I wasn't able to find any situations where he took any level of sort of like, let me step back and just say like, you know, here's the things I might, I feel like if I was in that situation, I'd be like, here's the five or 10 things that I could have done differently to, to fix this. And I would have beat myself over it. I probably wouldn't have continued on running a Facebook group like this, but he's just moving along, like organizing hikes. And, you know, obviously he feels like it's a tragedy, but I don't think that he's taking any level of sort of self-reflection on this where, you know, what could I have done better? You know, they're really just, the majority of that group is just sort of looking at it and saying it was a tragic accident where I think if you're going to organize these group hikes, particularly when you're opening up accessibility to dangerous places like you just need to take some basic rules around how you're going to manage these hikes and it doesn't mean that you're a guide it doesn't mean that you're a leader it simply means that you're going to agree to some basic rules and those basic rules from my perspective are you have a lead hiker you've got a sweep hiker you agree that you're going to stop and and meet up at a certain interval so that you know that everyone's there you're going to know who all the hikers are you're going to have an agreement to turn around if anybody's in distress. And then if anybody's injured, you're going to work together to get that person out as best you can without calling search and rescue unless you've really got an emergency. I think if you follow those basic ideas, then 
you know, then you can turn around and just say, like, if a tragedy happens, you know, we did everything we could to mitigate risk. There's none of that self-reflection, I think, in this in this situation at all. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one to note, and let's do an update uh, as they come in. Wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so as of today. Uh, crack another beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So as of today, there's a late-breaking like update. Midnight. So. The, okay. the gentleman in question, Johnson, <laughs> was notified by meetup.com that his account was suspended because he had been convicted of a crime. So meetup basically said, hmm. like, somebody notified us that you've been convicted of a crime in relation to, you know, your account and you can no longer um, access. But he hasn't been, he hasn't been convicted yet. He, it's alleged. He was correct? convicted. No, he was convicted oh, as he of was. this week. He was convicted oh, of the federal federal charges of the running a legal guide service because he collected <clears throat> mm. those dollars. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I thought those are just charges, but and I don't know if there's any plans to do any sort of civil action. Yeah, I don't con- convicted. You can be charged with a crime, but if you're convicted, you're guilty. He's guilty. He's guilty of running an illegal guide service. Um, he'll be sentenced in March. Interesting. So they they turned this around fast. What was the date of the incident? May seventh. Oh, okay. That I mean, makes so sense. I'll send yeah. you again. I'll put the the sheriff's <clears throat> press release. I've never read a press release that was so clearly like I'm pissed off and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going after this guy. Like yeah. this sheriff yeah. was pissed. No. no, that makes sense. That's a good several month turnaround. I was yeah. gonna say. Like, wait a minute. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway. and like and like you said earlier, Mike, they really just got him on a technicality because all these all these conventions that we have in the hiking community, mm. you know, I, I think that they're quote unquote immoral to to not operate by them, but it's not illegal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so they got him the only way they could. Yeah, by taking it's, money in the parking lot. Yeah, exactly. Pretty and much. I think it's it's, it's a delicate balance too because I think there's many hikers that. You know, they're like, oh, these meetup groups or these groups are dangerous and they shouldn't be done. But how are people supposed to learn? Like, I had my friend Jonathan, who I'm going hiking with on Saturday. Like, he showed me how to do winter hiking. Without him, I would have just sort of stumbled along by myself. Like, if people want to, you know, I just happen to have Jonathan as a friend. But, like, a lot of people don't have friends. They want to get into winter hiking. How else are they supposed to learn safely they can leverage these groups. I mean, obviously, yeah, they can pay for a guide service, and we've got some awesome guide services, Northeast Mountaineer, Redline Guide. We've got some awesome groups in the White Mountains, but also, like, not everyone has the money to pay for that. So, you know, wh- what are your alternatives? I, I don't think that these meetup groups or these Facebook groups are a negative overall. It's just there's some risks that go along with them, I think. Mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like somewhere in between you and Jonathan and Jonathan and 30 other hikers, there's a line somewhere in between those two. I don't know where that line is, but exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I think, I think the line at least starts somewhere around, you know, like I'll give you an example is like this group that we're organizing for beginning winter hiking through the, the hiking buddies. Basically the model is going to be that, you know, we're start, we're staggering the times. There's going to be no more than 10 people in the group. We'll have an experienced lead. We'll have an experienced sweep. Everybody understands that, you know, this is sort of learning winter hiking. 
and we're going to go by those rules. Like everybody stays together. We're going to check in with everyone. If there's anybody in distress, we all turn around. If anybody's injured, we help out. So I think that's probably the max that you want to deal with is 10 people, two experienced hikers, and then you're, you're heading out. And you got to pick the right yeah. hike too. You got to pick a hike that's not going to be too dangerous. I wouldn't take people up, you know, East Osceola. God. Hey, we're going up the watcher, kids. <laughs> yeah, so, so exactly. I realize I'm not exactly here to ask questions, but Mike, did did anything change for you with your planning for this hike after reading the story? I think what changed for me is that I will be much more aggressive and prescriptive about the expectations for everybody. Is mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, I want to be, I want everyone to like me. Um, and I'm going to let shit slide. I think I'm not going to let shit slide. Like it's military mic. <laughs> pack search. Oh, 600. Open yeah. up that pack. Yes. <laughs> you have to. Yeah, that's great. Well, I wish you guys a, a safe hike out there. So can we revisit this briefly? So I'm joining, correct? You're coming, I guess. All right. So who else is sweeping? Do we know yet? Or is this... I've got um, kept Julie from the, the Hiking Buddies is going to lead. Andrew Barlow is going to be there. And we got a couple of other people. So we're going to split the If you need up. help, let me know. Yeah. Awesome. You, you'll be a sweeper. Thank goodness. <laughs> and I'm going to be the guy that like disappears at the back of the line. <laughs> where's, where'd Stomp go? <laughs> oh, God. No, so, no, no. Somebody will be, be doing CPR on Stomp. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> This uh, next segment is brought to you by Fieldstone Kombucha, New England's premier craft kombucha ships to New Hampshire. Check out Fieldstone Kombucha online for delicious seasonal flavors and a kombucha style beloved of skeptics and enthusiasts alike. The perfect non-alcoholic post-hike drink, shipping available for retail and wholesale. Catch them at Tuscan Village Holiday Market. Uh in Salem, New Hampshire from December 8th to 11th, and that just ended. Uh, For more information, contact Emily Sheridan at emily at fieldstonekombuchaco.com or visit them at fieldstonekombuchaco.com. And then we have Sweet Beginnings Daycare. It's a New Hampshire licensed child care provider that offers care for children from six weeks to 12 years with flexibility in before and after school care as well. Sweet Beginnings aims to instill a love for learning by providing a safe and positive experience within a loving and warm environment. Uh, Sweet Beginnings believes this is a good foundation to teach children in order to prepare them for their future. For more information, contact Sweet Beginnings at 603 568 
or visit them at Sweet Beginnings Daycare on Facebook or email Shandy at Shandy Elliott with two L's at Outlook.com. All right. Um, moving on to recent search and rescue news here, Stomp. So that was a hell of an, a hell of a segment. No kidding. Do you want to just do the uh, the recent um, New Hampshire? Yeah, yeah. Why don't we do that? So yeah. um, there is a uh, injured hiker on Peaked Mountain. Where is Peaked Mountain? That's in North oh, Carolina. I was I was actually referring to uh, the Mount Willard. But do you want to do Peaked? Yeah, yeah. Is that the one that's in like the Green Hills Preserve? preservation like near uh, black cap and all that i'm honestly not sure i know we have a peak at hill here in thornton but uh i think it's different yeah so peak at this is in north conway so december 5th around noontime um 65 year old female from chelmsford mass was hiking with her husband slipped on an ice covered rock and as a result she sustained an injury to her ankle which prevented her from continuing under her own power she was about a mile from the trailhead, so they called 911. North Conway Fire Action Ambulance and the Lakes Region Search and Rescue Team responded. Um, the victim was placed in the litter and carried out to the trailhead, and she was able to get back out around 3 o'clock, so about three hours total from the time that she was injured to the time she got to the trailhead. And she was taken to Memorial Hospital in North Conway, and Fishing Game wants to remind everybody that it's winter conditions out there and it's slippery, so uh, be prepared. Hmm. Super slippery. Mm, Super three hours, slippery. she got lucky. Yep. Yeah, three that hours. quick. Horrible. Um, yeah. This next yeah. one here is a, uh, unfortunately, we had a hiker fatality on Mount Willard. So this is a, um, a situation where a gentleman and his wife were... Um, were hiking up Mount Willard, and uh, unfortunately, this gentleman, um, he got a little bit too close to the edge, and they had just reached the summit. They were taking some photos, and unfortunately, the wife heard her husband yell, um, and unfortunately found him starting to fall. He did end up falling around 300 feet, which caused his death, and... Um, Unfortunately, his wife was there to uh, to witness that, um, and Mountain Rescue Service had to basically get up there and navigate icy conditions. They had to rappel down to the face of the cliff, and it took about, um, I guess, three hours for them to, uh, to get to um, the gentleman, and he was pronounced dead at the scene, and it turned out that, unfortunately... You know, this this was a very experienced hiker. Um, him and his wife were both experienced. This gentleman worked at the Cog Railroad and was a well known, um, well known, I guess, worker at the Cog Railroad. So I'm assuming that he had likely just wanted to sort of enjoy a nice day off. And unfortunately, stop. It's been years since I've been up on Willard. I took, I used to take the kids up there. I used to take my nephew. I was like me and five or six other kids. Like I never. I never got the impression that there was any significant danger in Willard, but it can happen anywhere. It sure can. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my only comment on this is, you know, Fishing Game sent out an update as early as today and uh, actually December 12th. So for today, that was yesterday. And they just reinforced the fact that they were prepared. And it just, 
I mean, this is appropriate to talk about. I think online speculation as of late has been sort of through the roof on some of these events. And I would just caution people to not enter the realm of uh, speculation when it comes to these events and let things ride and uh, not necessarily post about your speculation on any given event because it just creates a feedback loop which can be vicious and negative and unnecessary and just cause more harm in the end. Um, just a little minor takeaway there. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I guess the one thing that I would say about this is that I'm very quick to sort of call out and say like, hey, Mount Willard is the best choice for you if you're a beginning winter hiker and you want to get experience. But I just think we're in this sort of unique window right now where it hasn't snowed a lot. There's been some rain. There's been some, you know, um, warming and then refreezing and warming and refreezing and you can build up some ice. So it is a little bit treacherous out there right now. Not saying that this this gentleman had traction and everything he needed. Um, it's just a freak accident, it sounds like. But I think people just need to be cautious, even in these areas where you think like, oh, yeah, it's relative. You know, I'm, I'm going to a particular area that's going to limit my risk. There's still risk involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, open ledge. I mean, experienced hikers can slip and fall all the time, you know, whether it's just over a rock and you roll your ankle or... Or something more like this. A, a simple stumble. Yeah, could exactly. Put somebody in that position. Could literally happen to anybody. But, yep. you know, yeah. heart, heart goes out to the wife, heart goes out to MRS. Those guys are really impressive. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and condolences to the whole Cog yeah. Railroad family. At, you know, the, I think this yep. gentleman worked there for 30 years or so, so he was probably very well um, embedded into that family. And, you know, some people have a sort of a negative view of the cog. I've always looked at them as, you know, in a very positive light. They're always there to help out with rescues whenever needed. I guarantee you that this guy has been on number, a number of different rescue missions to help other hikers out in the past as well. So, um, you know, it's just a sad situation. Yeah. Yep. Yep, so we had a, a big show tonight, Stomp. We're going to uh, wrap up the <laughs> new year one. with uh, wrap up the year with um, a good show here. Two hours and 20. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, it's like uh, congrats on the podcast and uh, keep us posted. And Thank you. we will Thank you. certainly have you back again. Good. Yeah, always happy to, to come on by. And, and Mike, I realize I didn't even say hello to you. I, I feel like I'm part of this like parasocial relationship where I feel like I was just talking to you the other day, but in reality, I was just listening to your podcast. <laughs> That's well, great. Hello. And we uh, should, have done, you should have done that at the beginning of the show. I know. And I encourage you guys to set up a campaign for Mike. I know we talked about that, but maybe next time. I think that would be a lot of fun. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. We'll get Mike on I'm the so nervous. Pants. Like, I can't do voices. What would my voice be? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to, or you could, you could just do something small. It's really whatever you're comfortable with. There's no there's no pressure. It's just like it's just like hiking, you know, hike your own hike. Yeah. Play I actually do game. do a good voice of my daughter's complaining, so if if I could be like a female teenage character, <laughs> maybe that would work out. Oh my God. Your your mind is your only limit. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, with that, episode 86 is done and let's put a pin in it. Absolutely. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2023. Thank you for listening. 
you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fishing game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots, and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? James Nealon from New Hampshire Fishing Game. Lucinda, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.